come down to us as the author of the Meditations, a collection of Stoic wisdom, and a philosophy for troubled times. Don't engage in rhetoric. Tolerate ignorant persons who form opinions without consideration. Sounds like Marcus Aurelius had the right advice for surviving social media. It's too bad he wasn't smarter about choosing his successor. We'll keep that in mind when we decide on week five. But for now, it's time for Toasting the Classics, episode four, The Meditations of Marcus Aurelius. What did you, uh... Where do we start? I don't know. There's a lot to talk about, and it's not particularly organized, if no, you know what I mean. No, it's not. It's just kind of all thrown out there. Yeah. Like, what was I thinking about this morning in a cold tent on the German Pretty frontier, much, yeah. you know, yeah. like... No so subheadings. No. A categorization. Did you notice any kind of theme to what went into each book? Like his book one No, I was wondering about that. Yeah, I was wondering about that. But I didn't see any. That was, they must have broke, they must, you know, I think translators or whatever, uh, somebody, archivists must have broken it up into the different Maybe books. Just, this was one papyrus scroll, and then this Maybe. was the next papyrus yeah. scroll. And Maybe, because you're right, I mean, none of them were themed. No, so. I didn't notice any. I was noticing, well, the first one, the first book where it starts out and he's listing thanks to this guy for this and thanks to this guy for that, you right. know, and he thanks his father and each person right. that ever taught him anything in his yeah. life. That's kind of, that's kind of They make similar. it almost like an opening credit type of thing. Sort of, yeah. But I don't know if it was written like that. I'd have to look and see. I mean, I think it could have just been an entry. Just, you know, him mm-hmm. thinking about people of his life or something. I mean, it could have been completely reorganized. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's a little bit of mystery to it, it sounded like. Did you read some of the backstory for where the book There's a lot well there's a lot of mystery the there's years, a lot of mystery like... to him. They they don't they really don't know a lot about him. Um the uh, so the the so he died one eighty, is that right? Eighty? That sounds right, yeah. I think, I think it was one eighty. Yeah. That sounds and right. And he uh, I think the first biography they can they can find written about him was like three fifty two. Hmm. So, you know, well over 150 years removed. Yeah, yeah he's um, not in the early books, like the ones that you read that are about like Nero and, and Claudius right. and those guys. Mm-hmm. So whoever, and I can't remember now for some reason who the biographer is of those middle emperors, the, these yeah. guys that we're talking about. Because like the 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 idea that they're the five good emperors, mm-hmm. right? That, which is a pretty common thing. That's Machiavelli came up with that. Yeah. That's in the 1500s. And he was so. the last of the five good emperors. Last of the five good yeah. emperors. Yeah, because yeah. Um, obviously Joaquin Phoenix was no good. <laughs> yeah, he, he was terrible. Yeah. He, por- he portrayed Dominus Forbiscum Belli. Don't, I don't know. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's a Cheech and Chong. There's Uh-oh. a Cheech and Chong. Uh, I can't remember the name of the skit, but they tried. They tried their Latin. They were at a at a at a like a like a Catholic high school teaching okay. John were right their characters, and it was Our Lady of the Hundred and First Street. Was first of all the name, right. which is great. Anyway, and she's like, uh, and the nuns like, as Saint Dominic always says, "Oh, feely me belly bony Dominus for biscum belly selleth all his dominoes." <laughs> I've always remembered that. <laughs> Oh, feeling me belly bony, Dominus for Biscum belly, selleth all his dominoes. dominoes. Yes. That's good. I like I that. I love it. Anyway, so that's as much Latin as I get. I don't really mm. think that's Latin, but in any case. Uh, no, I don't think so. No. I can't remember. Some kind of paraphrase of, uh, <laughs> you know. I think it was, I think it was a gladiator, I'm pretty sure gladiator had that. Gladiator so, had that yeah, same, yeah. At least written be. somewhere. In any case, so Marcus Aurelius was the last of the, of the, of the good emperors. 
of five good emperors. Yeah, a lot of people uh, like Constantine. Mm-hmm. He's later. He's he's a yeah, solid emperor. Later. There's a couple of, but there's a bad run mm-hmm. after Marcus Aurelius. Right. Yeah. Um, I think is the what the, is what they're saying. It's not like not the last good emperor really, but um, well, Rome does t- kind of take a nosedive, starting about two three hundred AD. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it, it goes through it goes through ups and downs. They lose a lot of the empire. I mean, yeah. this is in his reign. It's the the walls started kind of closing in. The German Germanic people were there's a lot of action, on, a lot of problems on the, frontier, on, the, yeah. on the eastern front. The the Mesopotamian Mesopotamians were, were causing problems. Yeah, the Persian Empire and the Persian Empire was whatnot. trying to kind of have a resurgence and stuff. So he faced a lot of adversity, mm-hmm. but so how much do you, so Marcus Aurelius? He's, he's a Stoic philosopher. That's what he's. That's yeah. what he's. He's kind of. He's, re- he's as. recounting Stoic philosophy. I think sort of the consensus is there's not a lot of original thought, right, in, in what he wrote. Right. It's like bringing together a lot of other people's thought. Right. Who unfortunately we've lost. Like we don't have access to those people at right. all. Like, I can't remember the names of some of the people that he mentions. They're not super famous today. Right. Probably because their works have been lost. Mm-hmm. Um, Talks about some pre-Socratic guys, mm-hmm. um, Heraclitus and Empedocles. Those guys, there's a few things yeah, that you can see. From them. Of, he's looking back to ancient Greece, but mm-hmm. yeah, Stoicism. He he didn't invent it. I think I think what makes his stand out was his meditations were to himself. I mm-hmm. mean, these were him mm-hmm. telling himself these things. Mm-hmm. Some of these, so it's kind of like reminding himself. And like you like you said, you know, picturing him having a bad day, and that's what that meditation is about like he'll talk about you know don't worry about you know pride or when they when they make you know talking about you or he calls it abusing you Mm -hmm. you know in in public and that's what's going to happen when you're an emperor and stuff like that and so maybe that day people in the senate were calling them out or people in the street were calling them out so you think these were written on bad days no i think they were just written daily maybe not daily but um they're written on occasions when he was trying to remind himself of some of these, some of these things. Maybe something was going on in his yeah. life, whether it was a bad day or not. Yeah, um, I kind of, it's funny because I sort of thought of it as the way I talk when I'm in a really good mood, mm. like when I'm in a really expansive, open, like like open-minded mood to everybody, and I mm. can tolerate everybody, and everything's fine. This mm. is the way I talk. Don't <laughs> let people get this. You. Is, this is the way you talk. Take you know, treat people like you know, like you know, they're not perfect, and, and uh, you can't be too mad at them. And, and then like you know, the next day I'm like, I hate people. People right. suck. You know, I forget about people. You know, well, like I wish everybody would just drop drop off the face <laughs> of the earth. Well, they vary though. I'm because, deleting Facebook because you, you've and, got you know, one. You, you on the one hand you've got you've got be benevolent to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, equanimity was was a big term that, that okay. they used a lot. I didn't get that one in my translation. You didn't get that one. I think I think we have different yeah, mind sure was driving me crazy. it was thou. Everything was thou, thou this, thou that. Did you have that? No, I didn't have okay, that. see that was actually throwing me off. Like I was actually it's like reading the uh, the old version it's of like the Bible. King James Bible yeah, King James. And, and it was written in the twentieth century. <laughs> the translation was done in the twentieth century. Right. The guy was just a an a hole. Right. Yeah. I have no yeah. idea why why he wrote it that way. But now I now there I mean so there was this sense of kind of brotherhood with everybody. Okay. On the one hand. But then there's the the other is that it's almost nihilistic. Everything's gonna pass away, we're all dust in the mm-hmm. wind mm-hmm. type of thing. I think those are the bad days. So basically yeah. don't don't think about, you know, 
because there's a lot about don't think about the future, don't think about the past, think about the present, think about where you're mm-hmm. at right now. Um, and there'll be things like, um, you know, what does it mean to, to be, I don't know, a, a, an emperor or something like that or a mm-hmm. king and, and uh, you know, that, that they'll abuse you. You know, they'll talk to you one way until you become the king, then they'll abuse abuse you in the street or something like that. I mean, or or the thing about no matter how good you are, mm-hmm. there'll be somebody standing there at your deathbed. Yeah. Thinking, oh, it's gonna right. be cool when this guy's dead. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Wow, somebody's celebrating your death. Great. Yeah. That's a great. Although thought. he admonishes us not to celebrate death. Right. Somebody's death. But then he also there's a lot also a lot of think of everybody, all of the great kings, and they're all dead. Mm-hmm. And that's where you're going to be too. Yep. <laughs> it's like yep. in the end, we're all worms meat, right? There's some there's some books like this that have kind of it, there is a nihilism to mm-hmm. them. There's some of my favorite books of the Bible are sort of the same way. If you mm-hmm. if you know Ecclesiastes, mm-hmm. it's gloomy. Mm-hmm. There's a gloomy attitude. No, to it. yeah, but it also certainly. holds some yeah. really good wisdom right. mixed in with the gloominess. It's sort of like the existentialist philosophers. It's like some of these people that really just have given up mm-hmm. say some of the best things. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, you don't want their entire outlook, but every once in a while there's yeah. a little bit of, you know, wisdom sticking out of it. Yeah. But there's something to be said about giving up. I mean, by giving, just totally giving up, you've now reached a space where, you know, nothing can really bother you. You know, that, Definitely. And that's... Yeah. It seemed like that's what he was striving for. I think so. Always trying to remind yourself that, you know, that in the end, you know, um, as as the great Metallica would say, nothing else matters. Mm. Right? I'm just thinking about that song too. <laughs> it's funny. Obviously. It, it, maybe it's a little early in the podcast to get to this, but I read a few things people had said about the book. Mm-hmm. And Bertrand Russell was talking about how this is the philosophy of someone living under a dictatorship. I mean, he's the emperor himself, but people that live under a dictatorship, stoic philosophy appeals to them because they give up on, they can't participate in public life anymore. There is no public life, really. So they sort of give up on um, participating in it, and they get this philosophy of, like like you said, like nihilism about life itself and how much life actually means. And I was thinking, like, and like I said, this is a little early in the night to get into this, but it's kind of where I am sometimes <laughs> with the way our political discourse in this yeah, country is. I, I was, yeah, I thought I'm, I'm, I'm just like, yeah. there is no point in participating right. in this. Right. No one is saying anything intelligent. No but one see, is saying anything. Neither, and, I, and I'm dishing this out in every direction. Right. This is not one side of the yeah. political spectrum. It's no. Although, one, to be fair, listeners, he does have a tattoo of AOC on his back, so. That's you know, true. Just so you'll know where I was asleep from. when that happened, though. Uh, in any case, I was. Yeah, <laughs> that's tequila. True. Did I tell you the story about how um, my daughter went off to college and yep. sent me home a, a selfie with AOC within like a day? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that didn't take long. <laughs> yeah. College student, and she's not even in New York. No, of course, neither is Pittsburgh. A- neither is AOC. But yeah, she but is, she's she's a congresswoman from she's from New York. No, no. Yeah, but she's not really. But she's she's in DC. She's in DC. She's also yeah. She's not in New York. True. Um, in any case, uh, but you know, the thing about it, though, is it just occurred to me, you know, it's not truly nihilistic because he does say, I mean, it's very hopeful in that the present, you know, he's always saying focus on the present. So he's not saying that it doesn't matter. What he's saying is that he's saying that to be, to, to stay humble, right? Don't get to, so right. full of yourself. Don't think that you're a great person, you know, I mean, because this is a guy that they're erecting statues to and he's got... 
all these different different titles. There have already been multiple emperors before him who've been yes. deified when they died. Right. So I right. mean, this is including this is including remarkable. his his father, his adopted father, was deified. Is that as right? Well. Antoninus, yeah. Pius, yeah. Okay. Antonin, Antonin, Antoninus, 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 yeah. Pius, Antoninus. I think. Or and Antoninus Pius, I think, is another philosopher who's in this book. I don't think it's the same person I, as the emperor. Well, I, I, I think him. they call him Marcus Pius. I think Pius. I think they gave gave him that title too. I've never heard that, but it could be. Yeah, maybe it's, it, I don't know. But his uh, his his adopted father apparently was really good emperor as well. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a couple of good ones. They really are. Yeah. I mean, you got Hadrian. I think Trajan, but Trajan might be before this. What's one of the source of the D that came before his father? The diet. Uh, um, uh, the one the, that, right before his father, I think, is Hadrian. Okay. I think Hadrian adopted. There was the emperor that. Really persecuted Christians. Diocletian, um, probably. Is it Diocletian? Diocletian persecuted Christians, I think. Domitian? Domitian. Domitian, okay. But Domitian and Titus and Vespasian are not considered... I mean, they were were pretty effective emperors, but they were ruthless. They were not not considered... But my point is that he, he... Yeah, so he's... He's, he's writing from a place where it, it would be really easy to get a big head, you know? Mm-hmm. And most of them did. Mm-hmm. And uh, considered themselves gods or whatever. And uh, and so he's he's reminding himself to be humble that, that really, you know, in, in, in the span of a short amount of time, um, your, your, your life is meaningless. Mm-hmm. So just, you know, focus on the right now, what you have to do right now. Whereas nihilism is all about... There's no point anyway, so I'll just kind of struggle along, uh, or I might as well lay down and die. It doesn't matter. Right. He he was saying it does matter. You have to be just and you have to be good, like you have to you have to strive for just to be just, yeah, and to be yeah. good, and you have to. Let's see. Some of the things is basically you have to do your part mm-hmm. in with whatever lot you've been given by nature, and well, he's got a bunch of religious beliefs. And they're very hard to understand exactly like, what they are. Yeah. Some of them are probably traditional Roman beliefs or, mm-hmm. or Greek beliefs or whatever it is. That because this guy's sort of a hybrid of a Greek and a Roman. I mean, he yeah. wrote in, in Greek. Right. And I don't know what gods he's talking about. He's not specific, but he talks about a lot of metaphysical weird stuff. He's mm-hmm. talking about like your soul is a sphere and. And like talking about what were the other things? There's a whole bunch of strange stuff, and I was like demons. No, no the thing no. about demons. Did you get that in your translation? No, I didn't. Where everybody has like a guiding demon to carry them through life. Yeah, I don't know. Like that in though. like, did you see the golden compass? Yeah. You know, everybody's no, got know. everybody's got a little animal uh-huh. that's called yeah, their yeah. demon. That that's from the ancient Greek philosophy. It's okay. sort right. of about this, and he talks about that like it's just real. And I'm I like, I don't remember that at all. That's yeah. It comes up a couple of times. Huh. Um, <laughs> totally he's talking about like, totally a, like, a, like the cyclical destruction and rebirth of the universe and all kinds yeah, of things that he, sound well, like and he also talks about like the, a collective consciousness he talks mm-hmm. about um, you know this kind of like one being or energy that we're all a part of mm-hmm. and that r- right now like when we die our soul either just ceases to exist or goes into that right like you know that yeah. that uh, and I I get the feeling that he called it disillusionment in my my copy, like when okay. you're when you're dissolved, basically when oh, your spirit kind of dissolves after you after okay. you after you die, and it dissolves into this kind of one back into the universe, right? And yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on in this thinking, and it's not the first time I've thought of this. A lot of this sounds like Buddhism. Hmm. 
Like there's like one thing I wrote down, like what you're saying is definitely the idea of you cohering into a person for a little bit and then being dissolved when mm-hmm. you die mm-hmm. is, a, is a Buddhist idea mm-hmm. or maybe even earlier, maybe even in Hinduism. But there's another one here. Um, he talks about freeing yourself from the pains and pleasure of life mm-hmm. and like getting free by doing that. And I'm like, that's a Buddhist idea. Yeah. And it's totally conceivable that these might actually just yeah. be Buddhist ideas. Yeah. Because you get the Roman Empire and Persia and everybody's trading and talking to each other at this well, time. Well, actually, so, you know what's interesting is uh, there is a lot of speculation and it's and it's fairly strong. I mean, it's more than speculation. Mm-hmm. There is strong evidence to say that, that Marcus Aurelius was the first to open up trading with China. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, they found coins okay. uh, with Marcus Aurelius's uh, image in Vietnam. Okay. They found Roman glassware in China before that dated from when Aurelius. And, and there was a story, there was just like one or two stories about uh, somebody going to the to a Chinese, like the Ming court, like the, or whatever, the dynastic mm-hmm. court, uh, from um, the Roman uh, emperor, mm-hmm. uh, whatever they called him. It was one of his names. He had like, <laughs> like a lot of names. Yeah. But... but uh, so, I mean, you know, it, it, it certainly... I mean, even if there's no direct contact, there's other con- yeah. intermediate yeah. contacts and people trading and things like that, getting ideas. I don't right. think it's all that hard to believe. Yeah, absolutely. So, but, you know, the freeing of the, freeing yourself from all those things. Like he was, so he believed that, like, mind was, disasso- you could disassociate from everything, like, from, from all feeling and everything else. Like, the mm-hmm. mind is itself... Um, Speaking of diso- disassociating ourselves, yeah. I think I'm going to start opening up tonight's drink while we talk. Yeah, I think we're at the point where we need to drink. Yeah, I think so. When we start talking about Buddhism, I think it's <laughs> usually time. When... But go ahead, keep going. No, I, no, that, that slowly... you could. That, so the mind is the mind is is you didn't, ah. It's in the car. All right, we're going to pause real quick. Yep. Uh, to yep. to go out and get a get a corkscrew. Yep. So be right back. <laughs> now here, uh, you can hear how how necessary it was for me to go get a corkscrew. <laughs> Turns out, not a. Uh, you know what's you know what's good. So, glasses right there. I do have another one. Is a corkscrew. So maybe we'll try both, and then uh, it's chilled, which is yeah, as fantastic. it says, it should be served. Mm-hmm. So um, there's a few reference. There's actually one reference directly to wine mm-hmm. in the meditations, mm-hmm. where he mentions. Um, what does he say? Something about, oh, just Falernian. He just mentions, oh, sit back and have a glass of the old Falernian. And so mm-hmm. my first thought was, oh, we're totally getting that. Sure. But unfortunately, as far as we know, it's been extinct for about 2,000 years. So <laughs> not an option. Although I had an idea hmm. of a company we could start, which is that we could do like a Jurassic Park of for of like ancient alcohol. wine. Oh, I put it on. You know. Right. So I was thinking we could recreate... Like an ancient Roman or Greek wine, and then is it is it pretty good? Okay, it's all right. No, it's good. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's not bad. Some people said it was going to be bad, but really, no. who said it was going to be bad? I, I was just kind of reading online about it. Really, it's like some people did not. This is fine. It just tastes like a really dry wine. Retsina Kortaki. Yeah, which is funny because isn't it weird that like Greece is not known for wine particularly, or I mean they grow wine but they don't export it, I guess. Or not much. No. Nobody drinks Greek wine. Ha <laughs> This is a resin wine. I knew it. It is. Yeah, what does that mean? Retsina. What does so that it, mean? Uh, it, it, they use resin from the Aleppo pine. It's added to the must during fermentation okay. to produce the distinctive 
resonated style. Okay. So that aftertaste that you got there, yeah, that's resin. That's like uh, it's like pine. Some are worse than others. The, the first one that that's I ever that's not bothering me. First one that I ever had, it tasted like you're you're licking tar for turpentine, yeah, no, <laughs> like a bat tar or something like that, man. Mm. For 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 baseball, it was it was oh yeah, pretty bad. No, no. actually, and I played I played uh, viola when I was a kid, and you know rosin the rosin you use for your bow, it mm-hmm. that's what it really like reminded me of was the smell of that. I played the viola when you were. Why does that completely change my image of what you were like as a kid? That's funny. Uh, yeah, well, that's interesting. But uh, yeah, so yeah, resin wine. I'm I'm actually really happy about this. I've I've only had this. One time, like, a, okay, like well, a Greek Greek festival or something. I mean, that's kind of the point for me is to try some new stuff, not so much to get like mm-hmm. a great one. Although this is fine, I can drink this. this it's, really, it's really interesting. So I don't mind this at all. A little bit of aftertaste. I mean, it, it hits you up front. It's a. It smells like and a almost Chardonnay. like a Chardonnay, yeah, and it looks like a Chardonnay, and and but right afterwards, right on the, right at the end, a little bit. Yeah, actually, I wouldn't even say the end. It it like comes towards kind of the middle as it's hitting the back of your tongue there. You get this kind of resin taste. Yeah, there's definitely a little something. But basically, if you poured me a glass of this and said it was Kendall Jackson Chardonnay, yeah. I would think that's what I was drinking. Like, I, wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't really know. That's because that's you, you normally drink scotch. I think I think that's the difference. You don't drink a lot of a lot of wines, do you? I do. I, do I like wine. I'd like wine. I but I what I usually have is red wine for ah, the most part. Okay. Unless I'm for some reason having a drink of wine during the day when it's hot, then I'll be like, oh, mm. white wine. But generally speaking, I like a red one. This is good. I mean, first, this is fine. Yeah, this yeah. Is fine. If it, if it was hot. I'm gonna close up the cooler to keep the other thing yeah, cool. Well, so maybe we'll open the other bottle. I'd heard that that the reason they did that it had something something to do with uh, wine skins, mm-hmm. with uh, preserving wine in because they use wine oh skins. that kind of wine skins. Yeah, yeah. I thought you meant the grape skins. Yeah, like, um, like a right, like a animal. Stomach, yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, somehow I don't know adding it to it, but it, it, it preserved it better or something like that. I don't, okay, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, that might be that makes sense. They, um, in the ancient world, the Greeks carried wine all over the Mediterranean and even way up into the Black Sea and stuff like that. So, something that would preserve drink. it would be desirable, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I don't know how much this mimics ancient Greek wine. Some of the sources I was looking at sort of indicated that yeah, this would be a little bit like what they had. But one of the one it's of the closer, big things yeah. that you read about is that they definitely for us to sit here and just drink the wine, mm-hmm. we would have been barbarians. The like, Greeks did not do that. If you got together for like the symposium mm-hmm. with Plato, mm-hmm. everything was cutting it with water. You poured water into your mm-hmm. wine constantly. So I I always imagined the the thing they're pouring the wine into be to be must be very different than what we're drinking, because. Oh, well, like, for instance, it says Falernian was 15% alcohol, mm. which is what, like, double what, what wine? No, wine's about 12%. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, All right, well, so that's not that much higher. So but it says it was flammable, it was high alcohol, so... Yeah. I don't think you have to get pretty high to be flammable. You would think so. Yeah. I don't know. Well, they they all they drank was wine. I mean, they really did. And it's just, it's just like all the... They literally thought the Germans... Yeah. I, I, it's not... Marcus Aurelius had talked about it. It's Tacitus mm-hmm. who's talking about the Germans are so dumb that they prefer beer to yeah, wine. Right. And he's like yeah. he's like, How could they I mean, obviously they they must be people of low intellect. Because right. who would choose beer with Barbarians drink beer. Yeah. yeah. Barbarians drink like, beer. I guess I'm a barbarian. I would kind of read that. <laughs> but I you like know, they wine. they drink wine the same way that the Europeans drink beer in you know, from actually in in, in 
ninth, tenth, you know, all the way up through Victorian. Beer was huge in, in England and and, sure. and and so forth. And wine for the Romans was, and for the Greeks, same way. I mean, they, kids drink, everybody drank mm-hmm. it. It's probably safer than water. Although they had sanitation, unlike the the English, <laughs> which is kind of funny. You know, I mean, that would, Marcus Aurelius would have had sanitation, but with the average Roman on the street, wouldn't he have been safer drinking wine? I mean, did, I mean, they probably Gosh, no. I mean, kind of have disruptions. If you look at, if you look at, uh, so that the, the closest... Uh, thing they have to what a city would have looked like was Pompeii, right? Sure. And in Pompeii, you have in the very middle of the street, you have canals. Mm-hmm. And the canals were used to flush filth from the street. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You also had public fountains throughout the city, everywhere. You had public fountains that was just always a fresh stream of water mm-hmm. coming through. So they, it was much more sanitary. And, and you had like actual, actual sanitation. So it, you know, you do your bodily functions in public. They had public bathrooms for everybody. Do you know they have that in England now? <laughs> I was coming back. How from far a we've pub. come? I was coming back from a pub, and they just have a thing on the street that's a little kiosk with urinals all around it. And I mean, just walking down the street, you're supposed to yeah. go up there and. Well, take that's a because look. everybody else is, is doing it in the street. Well, otherwise, they're just going to mm-hmm. piss yeah. on the street. Yeah, which exactly. Which is what British guys do. When they're <laughs> right. Like I mean, I said, not that, that American guys don't. How far we but... regressed, perhaps. But I mean, the person walking down the street, if they're if you're a Roman citizen, that's a big deal at that time. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be a Roman citizen versus be one of the conquered or, or sure. uh, one of those that, you know, I mean, because you could be, oh gosh, any number of, you know, the Spanish or something like that. They're not truly well, Roman. Well, actually, but that was, that's one thing I was thinking is that that's the one place yeah. in Spain you see Roman emperors early on. Oh, start, yeah, for true. some reason, they got yeah, integrated into the because because yeah, Marcus Aurelius is from a partially yeah. Spanish family. Yeah, that's true. And there are other. I think Hadrian was also Spanish. Yeah. Maybe they did that in Gladiator. The guys Spanish. Yeah, that's true. They call them. But call but them yeah, Spanish. I mean, Greeks would have been different, mm-hmm. and a German would have been completely. I think Julius Caesar tried to put some Germans into the, or maybe they were Gauls, but some kind of northern people into the Senate, and that was one of the things that got him stabbed. Like, <laughs> Yeah, they, they didn't like, like that very much. Yeah. Well, they uh, they tried to resettle. Um, what they tried to do is integrate everybody. I mean, the Romans were really smart. They conquer an area and then they they'd make that area Rome. I mean, it was like they would yeah. give they would give them, you know, uh, sanitation. They they build a coliseum. Yeah. They do all the rest of the stuff. Build so theaters, everything else to do. Those as are much the they native can. people who survived would would end yeah, up getting some right. benefits exactly. from the imperial project. Yeah, but uh, but they also tried resettling them, so they take. You know these people they've conquered and resettle them closer to Rome, mm-hmm. resettle Romans into those areas and so yeah. forth. Marcus Aurelius kicked them out because the Germans were being naughty, right? And uh, and they, you know, a bunch of them tried to settle in Italy, and he's like, "No, get the f out of here!" Yeah, and uh, kicked them out and kicked those who had already settled, kicked them out too. Said, "No, no mm-hmm. be gone." Well, that was a problem right up until the end. They were, um, they let the. I can't remember if it's the Visigoths or the Vandals. I'm sorry, maybe it's the Vandals. But they let one of them like settle in the yeah. empire, and they were doing okay. They were afraid of the Huns, yeah. so they came in and settled in the empire, and then they rebelled because they weren't being treated right. And then you had to right. deal with both them and the Huns at the same time. And that was later. That was when things were going badly. Isn't that cool how they picked really cool sounding names? Huns like, and Vandals. And and the Vandals, yeah. Yeah. What do we want to call ourselves? Call ourselves the Vandals. Yeah. That sounds cool. It's pretty good. It's a good band name. Or wait a minute. Was that... Do you think they started the name? Absolutely. Visigoths, too. 
just being goths being facetious the goths yeah the goths there's like a whole nation of like girls like 13 year old girls <laughs> they're with, all emo yeah like, <laughs> white makeup and black clothes they all look like like they all listen where's to, that they all listen to the kid that get i guess somehow that got to be what like books bram stoker books were called gothic, gothic and then gothic, somehow yeah. that turned into the i don't know there's a whole i thought it didn't it stem from architecture I yeah, mean, well, it's goths, the yeah. goths, the people, the goths, right. and then there's an architecture and a style of writing that's mm-hmm. based on it, and then somehow a revival of that became some of the literature of the Victorian era, mm-hmm. and then a fascination with those books became... The Cure. The Cure, right, right, exactly, yeah. so, you know, which and, I love The Cure. And Winona Ryder, and Johnny, 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 Depp's, Ryder, yeah. Johnny Depp's early work, and uh, Tim, all of Tim Burton's work, mm-hmm. pretty much, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Wearing uh, white makeup and black lipstick and black eyeliner. Not sure how that came from. Yeah. That yeah. really had nothing to do with the Goths, like the ancient yeah. people, the Goths. I don't really know. This has nothing to do with Marcus Aurelius. Well, sort of tangential. Sort of. But yeah. One thing I'm wondering is, uh, so was he sickly? I can't quite figure that out. Was he we, sickly? Huh? Yeah. We, don't... We, don't, we don't know a lot about him, but it seemed that he was not the healthiest of people. I mean, he didn't... He didn't he wasn't a he wasn't a warrior king or emperor. He never never fought. Never went out into the lands. Well, he he was with the army though. He's definitely with the army on the frontier in these couple of things. So he was a well, he was not himself a warrior, but he was definitely on the frontier. And he wrote some, some of this stuff was written in places like Hungary and Germany. Yeah, but he didn't win. So he would he was a consul for the emperor for like twenty five years or something before mm-hmm. he became emperor. And typically what. Typically, what they do is they would take the consuls, those that were next in line, and they would send them out into the territory, basically to earn their stripes as mm-hmm. kids, kind of like in, in gladiator type of thing. They, they never did that with him. He mm-hmm. stayed. He stayed in Rome. He was the secretary essentially to the to the emperor. Now his brother, who was co-emperor, which is a weird thing, Lucius. Uh-huh. Yeah. He was. He did. He he was a warrior. I mean, he was out in the territory. But then he died. Stuff. He did die. He died before he became emperor. No, no, no. He was co-emperor for for a while with, uh, with. I think he was co. Um, what do you call it? He was the the named heir, but no, Lucius so, died and never became emperor. No, Marcus Lucius. Aurelius became emperor. I think I think Lucius died during the plague. They had that big plague. That was when he was emperor, though. They were both emperor. At that, that time. does sound right by the numbers. Yeah. It should be one sixty nine. Because it was one well one sixty one sixty one is when when he became when he, emperor. One sixty nine is when the plague was when when they became emperor. Maybe. So what happened was is Antoninus died mm-hmm. one sixty one. Yeah, named that right. named Marcus and Lucius emperor. Hmm. And then, that's definitely what the later emperors and then, did after Constantine. That was what they did, right? And, and predictably led to the splitting up of the empire. Exactly. I don't know why I mean, nobody thought right? of that? But. And the Senate didn't want to do it. And Aurelius, Marcus Aurelius, told the Senate to make, you know, we're going to be co-emperors. Okay. And so they kind of acquiesced to what he said, made them both emperors. And, uh, I mean, they seemed to rule just fine. What happened was there was the, uh, it was when the Persian the Persians kind of started rising up and, and mm-hmm. in the Far Eastern territory. And uh, so Lucius went and... Um, Marcus really stayed at Rome. Okay. And uh, to, because they said Roman, Rome needs an emperor. And so the other emperor left. I mean, you know, did a good enough job, I suppose. 
but yeah, the plague happened. I think that's how that how Lucius died. In that's, what, that's what the sources I saw Nine or something. Like that. We're sort of filling that in. Yeah. We're like, we think this is when Lucius yeah. died, but we're not sure. So okay, like that's true because it's definitely the time frame works. But yeah. I don't remember ever learning about Lucius as an emperor. Right. Well, he didn't. I think so I'm trying to think what they called them. I think they called them like. So I read um, Gore Vidal mm-hmm. wrote a whole book about Julian the Apostate, who's like. I want to say like 320, 330 AD. Mm-hmm. And he starts out as co-emperor, mm-hmm. or he's not called a co-emperor, I think they're called Caesars. I think there's two guys called Caesar. Mm-hmm. Right. And then when his brother, who's the other Caesar, dies, he becomes emperor, just emperor. Yeah. And I think he's the last guy to hold both positions mm-hmm. of Western and Eastern Roman emperor, yeah, maybe. But... Um, I can't remember what they... I think it's Caesar. I think the sort of sub guy is called yeah, Caesar. Yeah, they, they, they called him both Caesar... And but they called them both emperor, which is just weird. Yeah, but, it is weird. But of the two, because uh, I can't remember the name of what his position was, but Marcus Aurelius, he was consul, but he was also he had a particular government uh, job that, sure. was, that he was assigned to, and yeah. because of that, everybody considered him like the senior emperor, praetor, like, or something like that. Yeah, it was something like that. Yeah. And uh, and because of that, he was considered the senior. But he was like a brilliant administrator. I mean, that was his thing. He could administrate to know <laughs> nobody's yeah. business, you know. Um, did you see that he said never to practice rhetoric? What did you think of that? Well, I mean, yeah, at the time, I can I can see that. But I mean, and, that's, and, and that's your job, right? Your job is practice. No, no, no. Aren't you a professor of rhetoric? And professional communication. Oh, so, okay. It's that, okay. It's that second a little part bit that, different. Yeah, a second part. Different. No, rhetoric, you know, he he's he's like, Talking about you know politics in this office and you know I don't know how you could do that job without rhetoric. I mean personally, I think between I think of it as being as being a dichotomy between mm-hmm. rhetoric and dialectic. Right. And for me, like what we're doing is a dialectic. We talk mm-hmm. about things. We listen to each other. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't take a position and then try to beat you mm-hmm. with my position. To me, that's the difference between rhetoric and dialectic. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's does that accord with what you think, but <sighs> yeah, I don't I know mean, how you could do the job of politician without being a skilled rhetorician. You have well, to have a, a point and try to get it across. Yeah, yeah you have to, a couple of things. So he would be a skilled uh, skilled at oratory mm-hmm. versus rhetoric, and they're two different, sort of two different things. Okay. A skilled speaker is not a, a rhetorician. Um, there's also, there's, there's this common ground that uh, you have to understand that we don't have here. So, and this is something... You and I? Uh, <laughs> well, we have common ground, but, okay. but as, as a people, you know, we don't. Uh, okay. America is, has less and less common ground as we go on. But Aristotle, going back to Aristotle, uh, who really talked a lot about rhetoric. He got it from Plato, who got it from Socrates. But Aristotle talks about how essentially there's no need for um, that. There is no need for um, like evil or to, to, to lie if you're a rhetorician or if you're going up to present a case because if it's good and it's just you'll win mm. that's just how it is right mm. and uh, we and you have to understand the audience and and try to respond to what the audience needs to hear and these types of things but they're ta- they're talking they're speaking from a place where you had uh, in Aristotle's time you had Athenians and you had everybody else Mm-hmm. And for Marcus Aurelius, you had Roman citizens, and you had everybody else, yeah. right? So Roman citizens, I mean, that's who he's occupied with, right? That's who he's concerned with. 
Roman citizens. Yeah, and it's, everybody he, else sucked. He, he very Rome? expressly. It's not just even Roman citizens. He's talking. He very expressly makes a couple of statements that he's talking about these Roman citizens yeah. up here, yeah. and like everybody else below there, better figure out where they belong. Right. Right. You know. You do what you do by your nature. You know mm-hmm. your nature determines what you should do. Well, you've been no no good life, thing yeah. does anything against its nature. Yeah. And right. like, and yeah. he, he, what does he say about him? He said something about masters and slaves that I was saying. And I, I mean, a slave wouldn't have been a Roman citizen, obviously. But he right. says something about like, you know, a slave that runs away from his master is a runaway. Mm-hmm. And I imagine the word runaway, whatever's been translated, is like a bad word. Probably. Right, it's like a yeah. like it's like a like yeah. I don't know what the word right. is, but and then he <laughs> says, so if you run away from the the law is your master. If you run away from the law, you're a runaway. Right. And I'm like, that's not a very good argument. Right. Because for me, <laughs> I have no problem with somebody that's a slave running. But away. see, but see, if you're a slave, right, get the f out of dodge. Like it's cool. But you you have to understand that's the context that he's speaking in, right? And right. It's a cultural context. It's definitely that's one of the things I was, I was talking about being such an alien society. Yeah. We forget that about. Right. Ancient Rome and ancient right. Greece. These are not people like us. No, got it. Like one of the things people will talk about today with sort of dismissing the Western canon is they're like, oh, it's just a whole bunch of like white guys, and only white guys can understand. And I'm like, I have nothing in common with these people. Yeah, I, I have far more in common with right. somebody who looks different than me living today in my country than I right. do with Marcus Aurelius or Aristotle. Sure, sure. Sure. These guys are alien. Yeah, yeah. We, we we share almost no values. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's really not about that. Yeah. This is like, it's no different for me trying to understand Confucius or somebody. Right. He's a, they're all foreigners. They're yeah. all completely foreign to me. Right. Because it's so long ago. It doesn't yeah. matter where they're from, you know? Right. Well, and what we've done since then is, is we've taken, and we've done, it to, we've done it with all of them. I mean, because they were speaking very specifically within the context that they lived mm-hmm. within. And... Uh, so they would talk about things like slaves and putting slaves to death, and it's no big deal, right? You know, blah 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 blah. And when they talk about like equality type of thing, they're not talking about equality like we know equality. No they're talking about equality. They're talking about equality just for this small group of people. Absolutely. You know, it's the same thing with the founding fathers. Yeah. If you right. told the founding fathers, I think maybe John Adams, because Abigail Adams was such a forceful speaker and such a like independent thinker he might have understood the concept that like maybe someday this will be expanded to include women Mm -hmm. but the rest of those guys would have just looked at you with their mouth hanging open if you'd said okay you said all men created equal but you mean women too right they're going to participate (laughs) of course not what if you let women participate in a society (laughs) what would happen right yeah they didn't even contemplate people who didn't own property the quality of those people. Right. You know, I mean, that didn't happen until Andrew Jackson. I mean, there's like a lot of, they were not thinking about equality right. in that sense. It just didn't, it, it just didn't compute. Right. In 1780, that just didn't compute. Sure. You know, nobody would have been thinking that way. But see, all. a progressive in 1780 was applying, Marcus Aurelius's was applying his principles for like equality mm-hmm. in a way totally different than him, right? Because with the founding fathers, they were, when, when they meant all men were created equal, they were talking about the farmers as well as the, the, the elite. Their vision okay. was very expensive for the time. But what it, but and you know? he's just talking about the elite and the elite of Rome. I mean that's right. all he's really talking right. about. So they expanded it. But there was so talk that. there was talk of, of the rights of fairly regular people in Rome. Marcus Aurelius I don't think would have been one of those people. No, and this no, is no, during no, the yeah, period, yeah. but like at the time no. of Julius Caesar, Julius Caesar's party, the Populares, mm-hmm. was a party that basically 
But just the, like the Bernie Sanders, of but a Roman, to to but a Roman citizen over. was a huge deal. A just Roman to, just to be deal. a Roman citizen, but though. what was a Roman citizen was constantly changing hmm. over those centuries during hmm. the Republic, and you know, certain people, you know, like for instance, could you be a Roman citizen if you didn't own land? Hmm. Was something that changed, over, right? You know, it was, was a developing yeah. thing. So that was something that um, what are the guys called? The Gracchi brothers. And like Caesar and all those people that were constantly trying to expand the franchise to like the lower orders of Roman society in those years. But that was dead by the time of Marcus Aurelius. Yeah, sure, that sure. Julius Caesar himself, by creating the empire essentially, killed that. Yeah. But right. there was no there was no liberty for yeah. a common Roman man in, right. in the A D years, basically, I don't think. I mean right. you know, their lives were okay, probably. Yeah, yeah. Because there was some material mm-hmm. benefits to the empire, but they weren't free in any way. Uh, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah. The, his, it, so what we've done now then is we've applied, you know, his kind of concepts to this to what we understand now, mm-hmm. which is, you know, truly all people are created equal. Right. And so this applies to, to sort of everybody. Um, so rhetoric, I guess that's where we started out. It was rhetoric. That's right. That's right. Rhetoric was, had a different meaning at the time. Um, well, and also, again, we may be running into a translation thing. Mm-hmm. Are we talking about the word rhetoric that was used, or were they saying like like they used to use talk about sophists? Rhetoric sophists always had a bad connotation. Yeah. There were rhetoricians that would pride themselves on being like, "I can make anything seem true." Right. They were like the Kim Kardashian's dad. Yeah. Of they hired, know, hired guns. Like, like, they are, yeah. I'm a lawyer. I was a lawyer for yeah. years, and I never went into a court and lied. Yeah. I never said anything. I never took a client that I didn't think mm-hmm. I would have never taken a client that was just wrong. Mm-hmm. You know. Although I guess there's some argument that you should take any client, you know, and give them the best defense you can. But but some of these guys that make a lot of money, mm-hmm. they know their client's guilty. Sure, sure. They're lying to the court. Right. And that's not okay. But uh, yeah. that would be what I would call like a sophist. Someone yeah, probably. who's willing to do anything yeah. to win the argument. Yeah. Willing to do anything, but they were also really good. I mean, that was the thing. Is Aristotle... Yeah, Johnny Cochran, I mean, he was really, yeah. really good at work. Aristotle was, was like, you know... Brilliant you rhetorician. You don't have to lie if, if your cause is just, Right. Um, that that was sort of what he what he was what he was saying, right? But no, rhetoric. Rhetoric was a term. I think rhetoric is a, a Latin term, um, or it it, sounds it's like actually it's Greek. Greek. I think it's uh, uh, that R H is usually Greek. Uh, it's rhetorica, rhetorica. I think is is, is well. The, I think it's Aristotle's one of his books is rhetoric. Yeah. 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 So okay. So yeah. so but Cicero um, is the one that to me always defined like, and he's Roman. Right, right, and he was a he was he was a hired gun. I mean, he was like, but yeah. he was he was really good. They they had they had transformed rhetoric into a kind of a profession mm-hmm. by the time well, he was Cicero a lawyer. He was a lawyer. I mean, they yeah. had lawyers. Like, I think Rome is probably might be the first place where they have lawyers Basis by lawyer, any yeah. by any idea that we would understand. Like mm-hmm. the Greek court system, or any, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say Greek court system. The Athenian court system was you would just go in there and you could get somebody to speak for you when you went to court. So that'd be a lawyer to some extent. Hmm? But there weren't really laws the same way. They're, they're writers. They're, 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 they're called writers. It was just an argument. You know, there was not really a lot of law to base it on. Whereas the Roman, like Cicero, had to have statutes. You, know? well, you yeah. couldn't just go in there and convince the court. They had agreed on concepts. And that's what I, what I meant by common ground. Is, mm-hmm. is if, you know, the Athenians, if you're an Athenian and you had certain rights that nobody else had, Right. And um, one of those was a right again, to a trial. And again, only the top ten percent of Athenians. No, well, all Athenians, because to be a, a citizen of Athens. But a was lot of again. people in Athens were women. 
Oh yeah, a lot yeah, of people yeah, in yeah. Athens yes, were true, slaves. True. A lot of people yeah, in but Athens slave, have been born slave, somewhere else. Slaves were not Athenians. If you're born somewhere else, you're not an Athenian. Well, they're defining them as not people. Right. They, yeah. Yeah. Athenian. The, Athenian is a very these women small. Are, these women are Athenians, but they're not citizens. Right. And, and the and the slaves were born in Athens, but they weren't citizens. Mm-hmm. And even free men who came to Athens from another city originally, well, there's yeah. no way they could become yeah. a citizen. Right. So. Yeah. It was a very small segment of society. Very small segment of society. Right. So. But, isn't it weird how they accumulate so much power? You know. They're so small, and yet... These city-states? Yeah. It's like, weird. Yeah. It is weird. I've been thinking... Actually, that's another thought I had, because we were talking about how being part of a polity like the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. the average citizen would just get to be like, well, what do I care? I'm not... I can't participate in this. The dictator just does whatever he wants, right. no matter what. And I was thinking that even in a society like ours, part of what's disenfranchising and disillusioning to me is being part of a polity of 330 million people. Mm-hmm. My part in it is so small. Mm-hmm. There's so little I can do right. that I think most smart people just say to themselves, why would I, you know, why would I spend a whole bunch of time? Yeah. You know, you could yeah. get involved in your city government and you could actually make an impact. Yeah, and so I think these city-states, you just get so much more involved. If we lived in Athens, Athens, even at its yeah. height, we're talking about Maybe I don't know twenty or thirty thousand citizens, smaller than Los. Well, Cruces. I think I think you know one you of know. the one of the issues. I think the founding fathers recognized that potential, and they they engineered or architected whatever you want to call it, drafted. You know they they they. Well, they gave power to the states. They totally they gave, they wanted gave, to do that. They gave power to the states, and they and they had this system of checks and balances. But that's been so freaking watered down. I mean, the, the executive branch is so much more powerful than it was intended to be. Same with the same with the judicial branch. It's been an ongoing you know, battle. And, I don't and think it's I don't the think legislative it's... branch doesn't doesn't uh, you know doesn't seem to well they, they can't get anything done. Everybody know? in the government is more powerful than the founding fathers envisioned. But I think yeah. all the branches, even mm-hmm. the idea. The idea of judicial review mm-hmm. that came about in the early nineteenth century. I don't know that the founding fathers meant that to happen. I don't even know that that's what they meant when they created the judiciary. From what I read of those cases, I don't know what they wanted mm-hmm. the judiciary branch to do. It makes sense that it exists for constitutional review to be like, oh, mm-hmm. is this law constitutional that they passed? And it's an amazing check on the government. Mm-hmm. It's great. It's a really good power. I'm really glad that we have that. Mm-hmm. We have these people who are apolitical, mm-hmm. who can just look at something and say, no, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. That's, that's unconstitutional. You know, I don't care how much you want it to be, it, it, it's unconstitutional. Right. So I, I think that's a great check, and I've always been pretty happy about that. I really like, especially like a split politically judicial mm-hmm. branch. Like, if one party took over, that would be bad. A lot of people talk about packing the court today. I'm like, no, don't do that. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. good. It should be independent, and right. it should, you know, it should Absolutely. be getting in your way when you want to pass all your right. crazy stuff, that's both parties, you know. That's the point, yeah. What's that? Yeah, exactly. It's exactly the point. The point. You'd be completely disemboweling one of the branches of government if you did that. Mm-hmm. Not to mention, even from a tactical perspective, if you're, say, a Democrat, and you want the judicial branch to suddenly be 15 judges, and you pack it with judges, it's not going to stay that way. Right. Eventually, a Republican is going to nominate Yeah, they, they, don't, they don't seem to have long-term visions no. for things, no. though, nowadays. I think that, that's gone the way of the dodo. Yeah. But, I don't know... Um, well, at that time, you know, there was a Senate, but the it didn't matter because the emperor had total authority to do. So, what was the Senate for in Rome? I mean, what, what did they do? I think it's kind of like in Star Wars: A New Hope. You remember when um, 
Grand Moff Tarkin tells everybody that the Emperor has completely disbanded the Senate. Mm-hmm. And the guy's like, what? What are you talking about? How is he going to maintain control around the, uh, without the bureaucracy that the Senate maintains mm-hmm. and stuff like that? I think it's kind of like that. Mm-hmm. I think it's essentially like the senators understood how money worked and, and they had influence with mm-hmm. the powerful families and things like that. So it really was a sort of distribution of power to some extent. Like they really did still have mm-hmm. a, a decent amount of power, especially in Italy. Right. Like... I don't know about if if you were in Britain, what, what right. a senator could do for sure. you. But then again, the emperors were constantly revolting when they were in Britain. Yeah, Britain right. was always splitting off from the empire and having a civil war with everybody else because yeah. it couldn't be controlled. It was too far away. Right. And the same goes for lots of other places. Right. Uh, North Africa and whatnot. So, yeah, now we definitely are on a tangent. I have no idea where we started. <laughs> I don't know where we started either. What on earth are we talking <laughs> about? Um, yeah, I was asking you about what you thought about the... Uh, the, the rhetoric thing, the, mm-hmm. the, the saying bad things about rhetoric. I thought maybe you'd be offended, but I no. guess not. So, no. Um, it's kind of fatalistic, everything he's saying. Oh, this one. He wrote a line. He said, he said, willingly give thyself up to Clotho, which is like one of the fates. And I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, no thanks. That's not how I want to live my life. I want to <laughs> just be like, oh, whatever happens. Well, right. well that, that's, that was his thing. That's like, kind of well, his philosophy. Everything is, everything is by design. I mean, he would be a Calvinist, right? You're predestined for everything. Everything's yeah, by design. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a you strand know? of that, right? Um, there's definitely, so that, like, some talk about, like, um, you, you know, it, it almost sounded like, yeah, Calvinist, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's like your soul is going to, what's going to happen to you mm-hmm. is what kind of soul did you get? Yeah. I'm like, what is the point of that philosophy? Right, right. I never understood that. What, there's well, no if you're, if you, will, Well, if you're, if, you're, if, you're, uh, if you're in the ruling class, it's a good philosophy because then you're telling the serfs, hey, you know, just deal with what you got. Because that's what you were given. So just be right. happy with it and, and do your part, you know, bring in the crops, you know, mm-hmm. shut up. Yeah. And uh, so there is a bit of that to it. I can't, I, I find, I don't want to believe that he, he would do that. I think it's, I think. I don't I think, think he thought much of the common man. I, don't I really don't. I don't know. I, and I was thinking about that too. I was thinking a lot of this, sometimes these philosophers and things like that, a lot of them tend to come from these like slave societies and like serf societies mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I think there's like a class of guys who just get to sit around thinking because somebody <laughs> else is bringing in the crops yeah. and somebody else is driving the oxen. Called professors like. nowadays. Yeah, kind yeah. of, right? Like you're not really doing any work. Um, the other people are like supporting you. I graded today, so. Oh, I don't mean you specifically. Oh, but okay. I mean, I meant like these guys, you know, Marcus yeah. Aurelius. I mean, he's the emperor. He's probably got plenty on his plate. He's kind of living the Stoic philosophy. Well, he would have been a philosopher had he been not, not been tapped. I mean, it, it's, mm, that's uh, what he was going for. Yeah, yeah. according to what that's I that's the same thing. Read. Julian the Apostate, same thing. Yeah. He was like learning to be a philosopher and ended up getting adopted into the court. Wanted nothing right. to do with it because right. he was like, I know I'm going to end up dead. What happens right. to all these guys is they end up dead. You know? <laughs> right, right. It's actually a really right. fascinating story. Um, Gore Vidal's a really good biographer. Yeah. He did um, Aaron Burr also, mm. which was a big influence on Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Um, Gore Vidal's biography of Aaron Burr, but that's neither here nor there. But that's, that was pretty good. The other thing he said, so he said some, he said that about rhetoric, but it, all, it was also about um, essentially like liter, literary theorist type of thing. Wasn't that in that same line? Like what? When he talks about rhetoric, he's like, don't, don't, you know, spend your time thinking about rhetoric and like, like trying to de- de- decipher the, decipher literature. 
hmm. or something like that, yeah. uh, which I had to kind of laugh at. It's again, it's something that comes from Ecclesiastes, hmm. where he says, "Of the making of books, there is no end." Hmm. Right, right, like, right. It's like the most depressing thing I've ever yeah, read. Interesting. As like a person who loves books, yeah, and I can't argue with it. I'm like, right. it's totally true. You could literally pour over the same stuff yeah. forever and never gain anything from right. it. Like, right. you know, you just people have been talking about. I don't know, like the Bible for like three thousand years and Shakespeare. There's there still Shakespeare. Yeah, still Shakespeare. Uh, Sometimes yeah. you see some real Scholars. scholarship. Like you see some real new analysis, and you're like, okay, that's a new point. That's not something anybody's ever said mm. before. And you know, but a lot of it is just turning stuff over. Now it's like applying critical race theory to everything. Sure. You know. Sure. It's just kind of a trend. I'm sure, I mean, that's pretty obvious in some of Shakespeare, but, you know, like Othello or Merchant of Venice, mm-hmm. but I don't know that it's really has anything to do with Elizabethan England. It wasn't Right. Not, not a big... You can apply it. You can apply it. You can apply it to anything, anything right? Yeah. It's like it's like the things that it comes from, like Derrida, so you, can, you can deconstruct anything. Mm-hmm. You know? So some people, their whole job is just, oh, now I'm going to deconstruct that, and now I'm going to deconstruct that. And, you know, so, so there's, there's people who they're going to have 20 or 30 years of critical race theory applied to everything. Oh, God, yeah. So yeah. it's going to be the Of career. the making of those books, there is no end. Yes. You know? <laughs> no, that, and that's actually what I was thinking of. That's yeah. exactly what I was thinking of. And... and you know, and so late. You know, lately I have had this kind of this. Yeah, you know, in what I do, critical race theory is 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 everywhere. Okay. And I don't I don't really subscribe Acad- to by it. that. You mean academia? Academia. Yeah. And I don't really subscribe to it. I, I think it is. That's because you're inherently racist because you're white. Clark. No, I know. Well, yeah. I know that, but it is a trend. I mean, I've been I've been doing this for long enough. I've been in academia since two thousand four. Before that. You know, just noticing the changes and stuff, but it is a trend, and and what you get is in, in higher well in academia you get trends. Uh, mm, it sure. might be new materialism or uh, uh, post structuralism or mm-hmm. uh, you know any 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 postmodernism. They're all trends. Sure. And they go away and they replace something else. So right now we are in the critical race theory trend. Mm-hmm. You know? and we give it a few years and it'll move on and it'll be something else. So I'm not. I'm not that concerned with it. It it is like he was saying. It's just, you know, you're you're spending your time thinking about these theories and trying to interpret theories and books and stuff like that. Yes, yeah, I can't just do that. I can't just. I don't know. It feels so narcissistic or so What's that? Just, like just to brush it off to to take something that's just purely intellectualism for intellectualism's sake. Mm-hmm. Like it, you're not actually trying to like come up with new knowledge. You know, like, if you're an astronomer, mm-hmm. you're like, there's a new star. Mm-hmm. Nobody's ever seen it before. Here's right. my theory about that mm-hmm. star. There's new knowledge being brought to the world. Correct. So this is why I've always been partial towards the natural sciences. Sure. Whereas all the other stuff, the liberal arts, mm-hmm. it's like it's just turning the same stone over. Sure. Being, oh, my, look at the, there's the north side of the stone. And then trying to go, <laughs> oh, my God, the south side. And yeah. then there's the north side. And we right. just do that right. forever. You know? But see, what you have to do is every time you turn it over, you, you interpret it from a different angle. You know, there's a, there's the north side of the stone through feminist theory. Right. Oh, there's a the south side of the stone right. through you know gay theory, or something like that. I'm just and, not sure much is gained by that. And here here's you know? here's the side of the stone through Marxism, and blah blah blah, and it's just on and on and on. I totally get you. I totally get you. That's why I do professional communication, right. not not rhetoric. I mean, the stuff I do yeah. is, is you know, you take to the workplace and you use it somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, Practical. But, yeah. Yeah. Try to be, but 
I don't know, but in in their day, actually, rhetoric was was practical. I mean, Cicero did things. Rhetoric is practical. You know? It's always. I think rhetoric is always. But well, well, you the you pra- know, the practice of it, if it's if it's done right, is not, it practical? I don't know. I mean, is like I think one of the ways that we engage in rhetoric today, which to me is like the death of democracy, is people getting on Facebook and arguing with each other about <laughs> things, and I cannot understand why it is so fruitless. I watch people talk, and I'm just like, why are you talking to each other? You don't don't understand why it's fruitless or why why they're doing it in the first place? I don't understand why. If if you had told me this is a format where people can talk about a political issue back and forth Mm -hmm. and engage about anything, I'd be like, something will come of that. That sounds wonderful. That sounds like a a marketplace of ideas. Mm -hmm. But what it is is it's just people digging their heels in <laughs> right, right. And, and saying useless yeah. things because also because the barrier to entry is so low right. so you're not talking to yeah. people who are frankly mm-hmm. I mean I hate to say I sound like a dick saying but they're not worth talking to you know? <laughs> right right. So armchair virologists and uh, <laughs> yes, exactly, epidemiologists exactly. and stuff yeah, I'm yeah. not worth talking to about virology yeah right yeah. like but but you know but I read it well, yeah, well I read a headline things. once right and this exactly. is what it said yes exactly yeah or what most people do is they just make a decision. It's like the worst kind of inductive reasoning. It's like make a decision about what you believe and then go to the internet to find support for that. Right, right. And only accept sources. God, that's annoying. Only yeah. accept sources that back it up. If you yeah. come up with something that says yeah. you're wrong, ignore that. That person's a murderer. Well, you know. The, the, word, the, the phrase for it is confirmation bias. It's one big confirmation sure. bias. Yeah. What I'm going to do is I'm going to filter out all my friends that, that don't say the things I like to say. That's that's the worst thing, yeah. And uh, and make sure that I don't see any views that I don't want to see. I only see stuff that I agree with or whatever. And so I live in this big echo chamber. And and because you can find anything, you know, uh, all totally unvetted information um, from blogs and whatever, you'll find some source on the, on the Internet that confirms what it is, you know, you believe. You know how I know people do that bubbling? You know how I know people do that? Mm -hmm. Is that I am the most conservative person Mm -hmm. that many of my friends know. Hmm. And I'm the most liberal person that many of my friends know. I'm I'm like reviled by groups of my friends for being too fill-in-the-blank. Because they literally do not talk to anyone who's actually on the other side of the spectrum. (laughs) So you're, no, like, you're no one, you're either extreme on my I'm not. My friends I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not on any extreme. I'm like right in the middle. And I really and it's not even so much that I'm in the middle. It's just that I don't have opinions that fit mm-hmm. either of those extremes. You know, they just don't. Mm-hmm. And I certainly don't sequester myself from people with different beliefs. Mm-hmm. I enjoy talking to people with different beliefs. As long as there are reasonable people that I can speak to. Now, if somebody starts screaming at me or wants to shoot me because I disagree, okay, that's not worth my time, you know. Right. But, um, generally speaking, I think it's fruitful to talk to people. Right. You know? You but, know I, but see, I can defend myself. I think sometimes mm-hmm. people feel like they can't defend themselves. They cannot engage with someone in open debate because mm-hmm. they'll get rolled over. Because they lack the rhetorical skills. Or the or, or oratory. Or they... Or, or rhetorical. What rhetorical? It? No. Or, or the oratory? Or, whatever. Yeah. The oration skills. Uh, the oral skills. Or their argument is completely unfounded and they can't they just can't defend it because it's that's complete right. crap but that ought to tell you which something. is most critical race theory I was talking to one guy one time started calling I, I don't even remember what I said what this conversation was about but he called me a libtard <laughs> and I was literally just like I think when you start using names like that is that like a unitard 
Yeah, something you wear yeah. to go to, yeah. you know, to go to Bernie Sanders' okay. inauguration oh, where okay. you're lived yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I was just like, if you're having to resort to insults like that, I think you've already admitted you have a weak position. I don't even need to talk to you. And he was like, well, obviously I disagree. Yeah. I was like, well, that was actually pretty civil. So yeah. we can walk away from this. Nobody's sure. the bloodier for it. Yeah. You know? but, like, Why do you do that? You do that because you're losing. I, uh... Or because you're afraid you're going to lose. See, I, this is actually where stoicism, I think, would come in handy for a lot of us. Absolutely. He talked about it. Yeah. Is, is just don't engage. Just, you know, if they have a different, if they have a different opinion of you, um, then you can, he does have, he does say at one point, then you can politely set him right, you know? Right. Uh, be polite about it. And, but. Because you should tolerate but, ignorant persons and those who form opinions without consideration. And I was like. That's Facebook. That's right. me on Facebook. Right. You know. He says that. He also says um, that you can, if somebody does say something. I think he's he's speaking in terms of like a political debate. Right. If like say he's at the Senate or whatever, if somebody says something that's contrary to what you know is the truth or whatever, then you can essentially politely tell them the truth. And if they if you meet resistance, he says just drop it. Don't even worry about it, you know. Basically, <laughs> yeah. and just and just kind of walk away. Just say, okay, whatever, you know, because it's just not it's not worth it. And, and it all comes down how to how can you do that if you're the emperor, you know? I mean, but just but it all comes down to this. You call it a fatalism. It all comes down to like yeah. in the end. In the end, does it really does it really matter? Because you know he's about not you know you you don't become intemperate, so you don't lose your temper. You don't get angry. Right. You don't you don't you know you just say okay. Because it's just not worth it, right? And you just remember, walk away. You remember in Gladiator when uh, Commodus is the emperor already? Mm-hmm. And he's like in the Senate, and that one guy's talking about like a bill to get some money for people suffering from the plague. And he's like, oh, I embrace all my people. And the senator's like, oh, have you ever embraced someone with the plague? <laughs> the plague? Yeah. And he's like, no, but I assure you, you will if you're yeah. interrupting me. I was like, that's not really rhetoric. That's yeah. like, I'm the dictator. Yeah. Shut right. up. The f- I mean, they made Commodus, I think, smarter in the film. Than the true. I mean, he's usually considered to be sort of just a brute, but in the movie he was a brute. But he was also like in that situation, he's he actually a, pretty clever. Well, he was a, a bit of a weasel. I mean, well, he was a brute in that you know he, he was used, a brute. He, yeah. he used his he used his his power as a bludgeon mm-hmm. to get what he wanted, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, but he um, used it cleverly as well. That's what I mean. That him, when they have him in the Senate, like arguing with the guy, and he does pretty well arguing with one of those senators. I was like, oh, that's a pretty, pretty intelligent version. I mean, and he could fight. Yeah. They had, they had, I think the real communist actually could fight. I think, he, so I think he actually did fight in the gladiator pits. Mm-hmm. Now they probably said, make sure you, you know, take a dive because yeah. communist is coming <laughs> right, in here. Right, you don't right. want to end up crucified, you know. But, but he was in love with himself, totally narcissistic and sure. all the rest of the stuff. You had a lot of, how could you not flaws. be? How could you not be if you were an emperor, especially like a young emperor? Yeah. Marcus when, Aurelius wasn't. When Bryce Harper came up to play for the Nationals, I remember my friend and I were talking, and he was like, "That guy's such a douche." And I was like, "Dude, do you remember what we were like when we were eighteen? Yeah, and we didn't have a dime to our names. Can you imagine if we that had three hundred million dollars? Yeah, three hundred million. Yeah. Like, take take it easy on him. You know, like he's and he he's grown up to be. He's all right. You know, he's not right. such a bad guy. But yeah. I, I would have been Commodus if somebody gave me a hundred million dollars when I <laughs> yeah. was eighteen. I would have been. You rule everything. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Right. Would have been yeah. corrupting. Absolutely corrupting. <laughs> It'd be yeah. It would be hard not to. But um, you know, I think uh, I think that's maybe that's why Aurelius just stands out so much is that he was so 
seems not to have been correct. polar opposite yeah. of that. Well, he now he, he did he did he, he was responsible for the murders of lots of Christians. That's one thing that comes down to us about. We Marcus don't know. Guys. We don't know if he did. But we it, think so. that we well, the persecution of Christians did rise during his watch. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. However, there is a, there was a, a Christian apologist. Um, I'm trying to think who that would have been. That uh, said that said that Marcus Aurelius actually looked at Christians with. I mean, he he, he said that basically people should pray like Christians, and mm-hmm. and I mean he he kind of admired them. Uh, from what I read, a lot of the Christian persecution was it was local governors were left to dealt with things on a local level, however right. they saw fit. And so Christianity was rising in all the, the kind of the outpost area and the frontiers mm-hmm. and stuff of the Roman Empire. And so... And not among the elites. Not among For the elites. For years and no. years, it was growing and growing among people who wouldn't otherwise appear in the historical record. Right. Yeah. All we have is like the epistles. Yeah. And you're like, oh, there's there's Christians in Spain and there's yeah. Christians in Italy right. and there's Christians. Right. They're all over the empire all of a sudden. Right. Yeah. Far more than there ever were Jews think, in the empire. I think if... It, and I might be wrong. I'm just I'm just kind of thinking of this, <laughs> but but you know, I think Christian. I think that's what we're doing. Okay, yeah, pretty much. Robots, yeah. So Paul died about ninety. No, no, not Paul. No, um, it would have been much John, earlier than John, that. John. John died about ninety. John might have been around right uh, about now. ninety. Um, so the last apostle died about ninety A.D. So about ninety years afterward, I think this is when it was really taken off. And I think you would have kind of yeah, a time, yeah. correlating yeah, I think so. persecution. Like uh, you, you, would, you could see an increase in the number of persecutions because there were more Christians. Sure. You know, um, so they were trying to stamp out these problems and what then, they saw as a problem. And then by whatever year Constantine is, Mm-hmm. He's converted to Christianity. Yeah. By that I mean, time, this, it's, this that's, is that's, a, that's 120 a, years after Marcus Aurelius. He's like three, just after 300, yeah. maybe 320. So, like yeah, so within another 150 years, it mm-hmm. blows up. You know, yeah. it's, it's the emperor's now. You know, what, you know what I used to think about with that? I used to think that that's probably what the Mormons are like in our society. Yeah. Like we, <laughs> we would be like, they, they showed up not long before the Civil War, like 1830s, 1840s. Mm-hmm. And so they've obviously been growing meteorically since then. Yeah. They're they're all over, especially out now that I've lived out west. I'm like, oh my god, half the people you meet are Mormons, right? Well, Well, there's a lot though. It's very common. And I was thinking, like, maybe like a hundred years from now, that'll just be the faith of this empire. You know, (laughs) they'll just be growing so much that like you and I are sitting here kind of scoffing at it, like, ah, the Mormons, you know, or the Scientologists or somebody, you know. God, please no. Like that would be like the Christians taking over. If you'd if you'd have told, you know, Trajan. Christianity was going to take over the empire, it would have been like, the, with the what is yeah. taking over the empire? Like, what are you talking yeah. about? Right, right. Right. So it's just sort of a, a thing that kept growing and growing, probably because it belonged to the poor. Maybe. Yeah, it belonged to everybody but the elites, right? Mm-hmm. Did you ever see um, Mel Brooks' History of the World Part 2? Part uh, yeah, part, so. it was Part 2. I think it was a long time ago. He did, uh, he did this, he was a comedian in mm-hmm. in, in Rome. Okay. Was it? Yeah, it was Rome. And uh, he had to get up there and do stand-up for Caesar or something. He's like, yeah, have you heard about these uh, Christians? They're so poor. They only got one God. Bum, bum, psh. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, it's terrible. Those are, fun. Those are funny movies. That one's a good one. Blazing Saddles is really fun. We watched, um, I got the kids to actually sit. I couldn't believe I managed this. And I mean Cleo, too. She's five. Mm-hmm. And we watched all of Young Frankenstein. Oh, what a great movie. Which is like, I mean, she's a little antsy because yeah. it has some bits that aren't that funny. But, yeah. like, we watched it. You know, we got yeah. through the whole movie. And Alex, really, my older son, really enjoyed it. Like, it was it was pretty so fun. Frau Farbissida? Is that her name? For, no. I don't know. The one that, the one that makes the, the, yeah, horses, the, horse, the horse's yeah. name. Yeah. yeah. 
There's a myth Frau that something. there's a myth that it's because they're saying her name means ger- uh, glue in German. Oh, really? Yeah, it's that not true. It's just, it's just an internet myth. Like it's apparently everybody thinks that. Okay. But I, I I looked at the name. I can't remember what the name was, but I was like, that doesn't mean. I don't think that means glue. <laughs> I had to look it up. I was like, no, that's not. We're talking about the meditations of Marcus Aurelius. Oh, so right. what was your biggest surprise? Biggest surprise, biggest surprise. Let me think. That sex is just rubbing two membranes together, what? followed by a. Uh, oh, filling uh, somebody with a seed or something uh, gross uh, like uh, that. Mucus. Yeah. It was like by, <laughs> by yeah. a little spilling of mucus. So it was like yeah. rubbing rubbing a rubbing two membranes together until you spill God. mucus. I was like, sounds oh like lord. Some, <laughs> sounds like somebody that uh, wasn't into it. That Apparently much. not. Yeah. Uh, no, let's see. What was the biggest surprise? What would be my biggest surprise? Well, my biggest surprise, not I've read this before, years about twenty years ago, okay. and originally my biggest surprise was it was written in Greek. Mm-hmm. I found that surprising. Yeah, so he spoke Latin. He spoke Latin, and he all he the educated Greek, people yeah. spoke Greek in mm-hmm. in ancient Rome. It was mm-hmm. just the thing you did. Like you'd be considered a fool if you didn't speak mm-hmm. Greek. Um, that's which is you know something I'm well aware of now at this point in my life. But which is odd. How old is the Greek Empire? I was wondering about that. So it's about four five hundred years old, right? What is um, when the Greek Empire was last great? Well, there's no real Greek Empire. Oh, there's the, Alexander. Okay. Okay. So there's so there's all the city states, and then we go through like periods of like Athens is on top, Sparta's on top, mm-hmm. Thebes is on top, and then Macedon comes in, yeah. and unifies everything, right. and quickly conquers the entire Persian Empire right. within the space of Alexander's life, like okay. twenty years. Then he dies. Then he dies. The whole thing falls Everything apart. Goes, that's crap. So when was so that? what you end up with is well, like four like... or five large Greek kingdoms uh-huh. in various places in a huge area. Mm-hmm. To some extent, bigger than what the Roman Empire became. Mm-hmm. If you included all of what we're talking about, India, Afghanistan, Persia, you know, Mesopotamia, places that weren't part of Rome. Um, so that's in like Alexander died in I want to say three twenty three BC. Yeah, so yeah, so right. we're talking about that goes on for a couple hundred years and then the Romans essentially take over yeah. most All of right, the Alright, so two to three hundred years. So the, the Greeks hadn't been great. But. Yeah, I mean it depends on what you're talking about because really like Egypt is Greek for a long time and that's yeah. pretty impressive. Like Ptolemaic Egypt is like where the library is and stuff like right. that. So that's all pretty that's all pretty cool until it yeah. falls to Rome, which right. is with Cleopatra and Caesar. So like forty BC. Okay. So that's not too, you know, so they're still super important. And that doesn't even, you've got all these people that are ruling in places like Asia Minor mm-hmm. and Persia and stuff like that that are still important into the just, first century. It just AD. seemed to me like, like um, you know how Hitler always looked at like Rome, mm-hmm. at the Roman Empire and the, and the Greeks. And so his was the Third Reich, right? And, um, mm. and I think he's talking about the Holy Roman Empire. I thought he was talking about the Roman I think he's Empire. talking about like Frederick, Frederick, um, Barbarossa is the first or second Reich. I mean, this, the second Reich is, I could be completely talking again out of my butt. I think the, the but, second Reich is Bismarck okay. putting together Prussia and turning it into Germany. Point, point, is, then, point is he's looking back yes. and he's basing it himself on that, right? And, and it always seemed to me like Rome, which conquered Greece, is spinning And then, spinning, and then spinning was in turn conquered by Greece. They right. Say. That's and, what Plutarch said. Yeah, true, true. But, uh, you know, spent so much time looking back at that, looking mm-hmm. backwards as like that was the last great empire and they fashioned so much, they stole gods, everything else. Sure. Um, so they fashioned themselves out of that, that empire. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Kind of like the, you yeah. know, the, the in... Greece is, a, Greece is a phenomenon, I think it's best to think of it as like a, not an empire so much as like a culture. 
like the mm-hmm. Vikings. No, no, no. Or I get the that. Polynesians. Yeah. I, I, no, I get that. I they, get that. they were never really all that cohesive. Sure, no, I, so they, I totally get that. They just spread and they but, were very... But they were, they were a, as a culture, they were a kingdom prior to Rome. I mean, they, they and Rome defeated them. But then Rome looked Rome, back at them. Rome basically defeated the Macedonians, right. is what ended up happening. They came in and in the second century BC but like the, and defeated uh, the, the, the language of the court of England was French for sure for because years. they were French. They were the Normans for a long time. For a long time, yeah. So which were Vikings and and then I think before that it was Latin. I think the the yeah sure like you if know. you were um if you were like in the in Alfred the Great like yeah. before William like right. in the seven or eight hundreds so it, they anyway speaking Latin basic the they're basing it on what came before and that that's the language you're going to use because that's kind of like the highbrow sort yeah, of court, I think like in, language. I think in those times like like let's say seven hundred A D when you're trying to have a kingdom in England I think the idea of conducting court business and writing documents in English mm-hmm. which didn't even exist right. but any native dialect people would have just laughed yeah it'd be like if we wrote things in West Virginia Appalachian, you know, inflected English, what's wrong with that? We'd be like, nothing's wrong with it, but my we would, we would think of it as being ridiculous. My if we, used to if we did court, di- <laughs> if we did like the Constitution, sure, that, sure. we'd be like, yeah. what are you doing? Like, write that in English. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think that's how they would have looked at it. Yeah. They'd just been like, this, is, so. not, this yeah. is not a language yeah, that's appropriate so. for court. You know, right. This is a language for talking to your. I just found that I just found that interesting. That that. Is almost like a sentimentalism, you know. For yeah, and it gives you a that. certain, um, um, it gives you like a like an authority. If you do things like the Romans did, it. yeah, like a credibility. You're like, you know, who are you to be in charge? Well, I'm doing things like the Romans did it, and be like, oh, well, the Romans, okay, all right, yeah, that's pretty good. But they were doing things like the Greeks did, and they were doing things like somebody had done yeah. before. Yeah, exactly. I like Ritzina. Yes, it's fine. It's just yeah, fine. It just, Although I literally like, I was able to wine today, and I completely avoided the uh, the Chardonnay section because I don't like Chardonnay. But this is pretty much just like tastes like Chardonnay yeah. to me. So. You know, there's a there's a beer. There's um, it's resin. It's a it's a resin oh, beer, okay. and and they put it in uh, rather than hops. So instead of hopping oh, the beer, because okay. you have to have kind of a hops is a preservative, but it's also a bitter. Have you, have you ever had a beer without hops in it? It's just super like sweet. Completely with, I don't know. If yeah, I don't it's, know. It's, it's just sugar. I mean, it's just super sweet and gross. Okay. Barley wine. If you ever had barley wine, it has like a really sweet taste. No, yeah, we should yeah. drink that for something. I'd like to try that. Yeah. Beowulf. I mean, I just want to try a whole bunch of weird stuff. <coughs> oh, Beowulf. We have to do Beowulf. Yeah. That would be fun. Yeah. Not for a while. <laughs> okay. All right. But uh, no, there's a, there's a beer that, that, that they use. They use resin from a particular tree. I can't freaking remember the name of it. It'll, it'll come to me. Um, okay. But... But uh, so it's, imagine beer with with kind of a resin taste, and, and it grows on you. At first, you're like, "Oh, what is this?" But then after a while, biggest surprise. Still, worried, still thinking about that. Right. I guess just overall, the biggest surprise was that uh, an emperor would write this and try to live by this. I and mean, when he was ten years old, he stopped sleeping on beds. Yeah. He started sleeping on the yeah, floor because yeah. his mom. Be, his mom made him stop. Yeah, his mom like, made him stop. <laughs> yeah, what are you doing? Yeah, um, where did he was, read that? He was wearing too. like a like apparently philosophers would wear like a rough cloak because it was reminding themselves mm-hmm. of the inconvenience of life or some something. All thing. these details. It's so funny because all these details are in the book about Julian the Apostate. Mm-hmm. There's a Gore Vidal book. Yeah. I think he probably just stole them from Marcus Aurelius. Yeah, I don't think we actually know that much about Julian. Well, we don't know a lot about Marcus Aurelius either. Not I mean, a whole really lot. Don't. Not, um, not a whole lot. 
The sources, the later Roman sources, are pretty crappy. Yeah. Honestly, that's one thing that I don't think a lot of people understand. It's one thing I really love about Greece and Rome, mm-hmm. is that there aren't that many sources. Right. This stuff didn't survive. Pliny the Elder, man. There's, there's a handful. Of, <laughs> but the amazing thing is when something like Pliny the Elder, mm-hmm. is, or sorry, Pliny the Younger, mm-hmm. writes these letters, mm-hmm. right? Like personal letters, and somehow they've come down to yeah. us today. I think that's the most fascinating thing yeah. in the world. Like, he writes personal account when Pliny the Elder decides to go and check out Vesuvius as it's erupting and gets himself killed Pliny the the Younger tells the entire story of that day and we have we have a a very vivid eyewitness account like from a personal letter he wrote to somebody and I just think that's so cool and there's only so much of it that was the one thing about about in in here because he brought up Pompeii all the time as like Places that are no longer there. He mentioned, yeah. you know what? I got fooled by that. And you know what he's talking about when he says the Pompeians that are no longer around? He's actually talking about the... the he's talking about the guy, the guy Pompeii, Pompeii's yeah. family. Yeah. I, I thought the same yeah. thing. I was like, oh, weird. He mentions Pompeii. That's yeah. interesting. But then I was like, oh, no, he's talking about yeah. Pompey's the family. Pompeii, yeah. Pompeii, yeah. I was like, yeah. I, I guess that was the biggest surprise, just knowing that this guy you know, didn't succumb. He did not succumb to, to all the trappings and narcissism and everything else and and how many people could do that mm-hmm. i mean it, it it's one thing to say i'm a stoic right when i have nothing well that's and, why and, and a lot of a lot of spiritual people they want you to get rid of your yeah get rid of all your all your it's easier for yeah. a rich man to get into heaven than for, it's oh, easier yeah. for a poor camel man. to pass yeah, through the eye of a needle for than a rich, for rich man, man to get to, into heaven to get there's right? there's absolutely some truth to that yeah you know? so i mean having a guy i guess i guess when he just if you oh I just finished it I'm sorry we can open another one or we could start wrapping things up it's up to you we're gonna have to open another one okay we'll have to open conversations we have after that they can't hear that's when you start becoming yeah. really racist oh right. yeah. yeah nice thanks yeah anytime um, yeah. <laughs> well, you I can mostly just can't stand Thebans and Spartans that's who I'm really yeah I know. well that's what I was talking about yeah, yeah exactly. as, a, as a race yeah. Spartans are terrible um, you know my uh, my ex girlfriend girl uh, girl I went well went out was it high school no it was early college. Her grandfather was from Greece, and he was actually a Spartan. Really? Yeah. How interesting. Isn't that funny? But he was like this roly-poly old bald guy. Like, <laughs> you know, looked like a modern Greek. Like he could, modern kill, could he kill a wolf with a spear? No. No, no he was not that kind of Spartan. No, not was, that kind of Spartan. It's funny, like... He's more like that hunchback Spartan that's in the 300? Yeah, like the one that the one that shows them the past. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's more like yeah. that. No, the I mean, he was perfectly normal. He wasn't, <laughs> wasn't all, like, you know, twisted and stuff. <laughs> We had a really interesting conversation about um, that movie one time. Me, uh, that that girl and I actually, because she was in the 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 court of people that were like, "Oh, I hate this movie because it's such a terrible depiction of the Persians." And I was like, "You're not wrong. This is not what Persia was like." Mm-hmm. But the whole point of the film is it's supposed to be, or actually, the comic, the original, the Frank Miller comic mm-hmm. that I have. I have a signed copy of Three Hundred from when it first, but. Because I love that ancient yeah. Greek stuff, and when it came out in a comic, I was all about yeah. it. But the whole point is, this is not reality. Mm-hmm. This is the Greek myth of what happens right. at Thermopylae. It's not about showing what the Persians were really yeah. like. They've got a freaking woolly rhinoceros with them. <laughs> the whole point is, this is mythical. Yeah. And they use this hyper-realist way of showing that. There's nothing in there that's fantastical. Mm-hmm. There's no dragons. So when they bring a monster into combat... 
it's a giant who's like a deformed human being. Right. So they try to use something that could be real. Yeah, yeah. And it's not a Tyrannosaurus Rex, it's a woolly rhinoceros, which is like, okay, maybe they got one. Yeah, maybe there yeah. was a woolly rhinoceros yeah, sure left somewhere on the edge of the Persian Empire. Yeah, yeah. You know? there's al- it's always like a little bit of realism. Right. It's not supposed to be. It's, it's, this is, this is, the Persians are these bad guys. You know, they're a myth. Well, the whole, the whole point of the story was to get to the end of it where you find out that it was just a big pep rally to try to get get them get the Spartans pumped up right. to go attack them. Right. He was right. he was recounting this this story. He, but the reality the reality of the Spartan relationship with Persia mm-hmm. is that do you know how Sparta beat the Athenians in the Peloponnesian the, War? Persia. They got the Persians yeah, to do it. That's for right. Them. Yeah. So I mean the reality yeah. is not the Greeks yeah. banding against the Persians. The reality right. that that's a bunch of hooey. Yeah. Frank Miller exactly knew what he was doing when he created that. He, he was he's not. A smart, he's a smart. He was guy. not dumb enough to think that the Persians were some. Maybe the guy that made the film was that dumb. I don't know. But Frank Robert, Miller knew better. Robert Rodriguez. Was that he did? I don't. I don't. Know. I think. I think it was. He also did Sin City. Sin City was yeah. good. I like that. I never was, read those. He also did uh, Spy Kids. <laughs> Bit of a divergence. Is that the same guy? Oh, that's funny. Desperado. We actually just watched. Um, is it Spy Kids? No. Okay, so it's similar. It's um, Lava Girl. Lava Girl and Shark, Shark Boy, Boy, right? And then they did like a modern adaptation of Lava Boy yeah. and Shark Girl. Yeah. Or Lava Girl and Shark, Shark Boy. Boy. Sorry. Yeah. And and it was they got everybody from Narcos to be in it. Really? It's really weird. It's all on Netflix. I was <laughs> watching it. I was like, wait, is that is that like Pedro Pascal? Yeah. <laughs> like, what's going on here? Well, they did the same thing in uh, Spy Kids. Danny Trejo's her uncle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Not somebody you would associate with children's uh, <laughs> children's uh, movies. Always about as tall as a child. Nice. Remember him as the knife guy in Desperado? Oh, he's awesome. I that love was pretty him. Good. He's, 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 he's cool as can be. So, uh, <coughs> wrapping up. Okay, so biggest surprise. Wrapping up or opening another bottle? No, we are opening up okay. another bottle. We're just kind of getting the biggest surprise. You got yours. I got mine. That just Big, Oh, so I actually come yeah. up with a different biggest surprise because that was my biggest surprise from like what I picked up the first time I read it was the Greek oh, okay. thing. Because they have these, uh, the translations of the classics called the Loeb's translations, mm-hmm. which are like one page is the original language and one page Gosh. is the, the English. And there's a whole series of red books for Latin and a whole series of green books for Greek. And I was like, why is the meditations Greek? Why is it green? Mm-hmm. Because that, and that was surprising. But anyway, what I found surprising on this read was that I remember it being like this pretty practical guide, right? Like just kind of advice about life and stuff like that. And I, that's what I remember from it. Mm-hmm. But what struck me was all the crazy metaphysical stuff mm-hmm. that we were talking about before. Like, you just didn't pick on it. Just I just didn't really pick up on it. How old were you when, you when you first read it? Probably about 20. I think, See, it's, I think it was 20 years ago. You probably didn't didn't have like the life observations that you have now. I mean, now you you look you you've got 20 more years of looking at this stuff, and you, you're able to yeah. Um, you just notice different yeah. things, you know. Um, this writing, <laughs> and that's the same book I read then. By the mm-hmm. way, the translation I have, like I said, is so opaque. It's easy to just gloss over and be like, "What did I read the last four pages?" Like you just <laughs> yeah. miss things because that that I had to do that a few times myself. I don't know if you ever tried like reading Shakespeare. Like, just reading it, yeah. which is terrible. And it's like, why is this so bad? And it's like, well, because you're not supposed to read it. I would, it. I would like it in Russia, like reading Derrida, actually, which you mentioned. Have you ever read Hegel? Yeah. Uh, Who was it? I think it's Friedrich Schiller or some, some other philosopher referred to Hegel as senseless, meaningless webs of language. <laughs> I was like, yeah, exactly. That's exactly yeah. what it is. I'm starting something new. I've got the Hermes uh, Retsina. Is that catching? I mean, is it the Hermes? Yeah, this is the Hermes. Are you taking drugs? Taking drugs for that? That's the messenger. No, the, the, uh, he's the messenger god because I was actually, I was you know actually, why he's called the messenger god? Mm. Because like when you when you show up with Hermes, you're sending everybody a message. <laughs> That's right. They all get a letter. 
That's right. So somebody you know has hernia. You send you a get, bunch of winged you, messages. You, you, you better go get checked. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, this pretty much seems like the same thing. Yeah. Um, it uh, is actually corked, so it must be somewhat superior quality to the first thing. I don't know. They say imported wine. That's what? The caps are actually probably smarter. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's different. Is it different? Is yeah. it more, a little bit more pronounced? It's less Chardonnay tasting. It's more of a, almost like neutral, hmm. less dry, more more towards neutral. Mm-hmm. Maybe even a little tiny bit on the sweet spectrum. Really? But it's um, similar. You can tell it's the same kind of thing. So I don't know. This is a regional appellation product of Greece. So maybe that's like one of these official things. It can't be Retsina if it's not from... But what I really wanted to get for tonight was I wanted to get the wine like in a big amphora that we yeah. had to cut with water to be able to drink it. Like, I really <laughs> right. kind of wanted to try that, but that's just not a thing. I don't the, clay, the clay amphora? Yeah, like the one whole of those thing. old school ones. Yeah. One of the ones that, like, Vladimir Putin say, gets from the bottom of the yeah, sea. Right. I was going to say, they, they found those in the Baltic. They found, like... Black Seas. Were yeah, they really or the Black Sea, yeah. You know like, why? You know why they find things in the Black Sea? Because the bottom of the Black Sea is anoxic. Right? Ah. It's something about, yeah, it's yeah, something it's about silk, the right? silt or something yeah. creates this anoxic layer. So if something sinks, it just sits there. Yeah, nothing, it never. Like, never. have you ever seen the Antikythera mechanism? Yes. It's amazing. Yes. It's yeah. amazing. All those such fi- fine gears yeah. and everything like, else. I don't know if that was from the Black Sea. <clears throat> I kind of think it was. I think it was. It was, it was, it was, they think it was like a ship's computer or something like that. Something. We don't even know yeah. what it was, but it's, yeah, it's crazy. But, uh, but those amphoras, yeah, they found, they've, I was thinking. Tons and tons of them, yeah. Uh. Do they? Well, no. It's a clay is porous, so I mean, I don't think the the wine obviously didn't survive. But mm. unlike Shackleton's whiskey, you know, Shackleton's whiskey did survive. But that's only a hundred years. That's still hundred year old whiskey. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's whiskey, and it's in yeah. Antarctica, right? Yeah. So right. probably keep. Got to be good. Yeah, that's. Uh, but they did actually Shackleton's whiskey. They did remake it. Hmm. So I mean, it is certainly possible. And there's a a scholar in beer, okay. and uh, he found. In the original Midas tomb, King Midas, who's a real king, and I can't remember, it was like somewhere around Turkey or something Crete. like that. Yeah, Crete. And, uh, oh, so, no, 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 I'm sorry. No, Midas, no, you're right, you're right. It's in Asia Minor. It's uh, Lydia. Yeah, Midas. And so he, uh, they, they found his tomb, and he was buried with all of these like cauldrons of beer. Ah, and good. so they took scrapings from it, analyzed it. And he Must was have able been to a barbarian if he was drinking beer. Yeah, I know, right? Wine, yeah. And he uh, and they were able to to break down. These were all the ingredients. And it was a very fr- it had all this fruit in it and stuff like that. Mm. And uh, that's what I'm talking about. With we could recreate Falernian. We could like that's what I'm thinking. Talk to yeah, these archaeologists like, like, and be like, well, what like, do you got? Certainly, you, know? certainly, you found certainly. these amphorae from the bottom of yeah. the Black Sea. Right. What, I know we right. can't drink what's in it, but you know, right. let's figure it out. Let's try to recreate right. it. Right. Couldn't we do that? Why couldn't so we? So they 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 actually so that this if you came to me and you were like. Here's a bottle of beer that we have painstakingly recreated that uh, King Midas drank. I would pay through the nose. To I was try about that. to tell you there, I would there definitely is. Definitely do there that. There is. Yes. I would and do and that. It, okay. So it's called the Midas Touch. Of course it is. Yeah, of course it is, and it's made by Dogfish Head. Oh, okay. It's made by Dogfish Head. Delaware. It's, it's uh, like fifteen dollars for a four pack. Because what happened was uh, this professor sent out the recipe to all these breweries, all these craft breweries, and right. said. Uh, Let's let's have let's have some fun. Who's willing to, to try yeah. and create? So everybody sent him, you know, send me. Thing is, he didn't have ratios. He didn't know how much of this or how much of that. Just like right. this is what's in it. And so dogfish. And it wouldn't had, be the same thing, right? The same strain of weed or whatever. Everybody did that. Uh, they had a big contest. Dogfish had won, so they got to claim that they were 
Nice. The Midas, I like Midas that. Beers. I like that. That's uh, Do you know why he's famous for the Midas Touch or the gold thing? You know why uh, that? Huh. Because Lydia was the first kingdom to create coin. Huh. The first coins in the world. Really? I so I think know. the myth sort of grew oh, that, that they had the, the, the gold, the idea of somebody turning so, out gold. Do you know that? So Marcus Aurelius, he, he had to devalue the... Uh, I saw that, but okay. what, what happened with that? I okay. Mean, I sort of so, skimmed that. So the, the kingdom you know. needed money. Okay. Boring, boring enough to hear about monetary concerns for today, <laughs> no, right? But the kingdom needed money because of the wars on the frontier and everything okay. else. So how do you create money? You devalue the the coin. I can't remember what it is, but it's Denar- a denarius, I think. Is what uh, I, I think it's something else. But it was a silver coin. Solidi? Maybe. What's it called? But how do you devalue that coin? By by cheapening it by having less metal in it. By having, by less, having silver, less precious metal. Having yeah, less yeah. silver. So when he when he uh, took the throne or whatever, it was like eighty two point. Five percent silver. Mm-hmm. I think sterling is like ninety nine point five or something okay. or ninety two. So it was like eighty two point whatever. He lowered it to seventy eight. So mm-hmm. that way he could make more coin. Well, that's not so bad, right? Though. That's not. You're uh, still getting two percent silver or four percent, rather. Yeah. And then uh, then he raised it for a short time, and then they needed money again, so he devalued it again. Mm-hmm. But it's just kind of funny. It's like literally devaluing yeah. by taking I mean, it away. I, I, re- I read like I mean, there's people that try to. And I don't know what their sources are or how they could possibly know what they're talking about. But I read this whole book that was talking about the Persian Empire and the problems of inflation in the Persian Empire and why that was what destroyed the Persian mm-hmm. Empire. And I was like, that's really interesting. I mean, clearly what would happen, mm-hmm. unless you didn't tell everybody, oh, we, yeah. you know, we decreased, then mm-hmm. you'd get inflation. Mm-hmm. You'd be, you'd be this, essentially printing money right. is what you're doing, um, which would help you in the short term. But like everybody would get word that there was less silver. Yeah. And there'd be deflation. I'm right. sorry, inflation. Right. So the currency would be worth less. That doesn't seem that drastic. I'm talking about three or four percent. I don't think that would that wouldn't make the well, it didn't make the economy collapse. Apparently. Well, it I don't was, know. I mean, it's but, almost like Keynes. But how do you, how do you it's almost like they did that to get through a war, which is kinda yeah. like what we would do today. We would essentially do the modern equivalent yeah, sort of money. But I mean how how do you what do you do with coins in circulation? They're just out there worth more. There's know. a rule. There's a rule of Gresham's law that if you have Bad money in the economy, meaning something with 78% value, 78% silver, and there's 81% value, that it'll drive all the good money out of the economy. All that, all that money will be, be hoarded, hoarded. Yeah, yeah. Be hoarded. and will be and basically be destroyed. Yeah. You know, not destroyed, yeah, yeah. but taken out of circulation. Right. So you'll so you'll end up getting the same effect. That's, so, a, that's interesting. I, I I like understand these kinds of things the way I understand like magical spells. They're just words to me. Like I just <laughs> you know, yeah, it's good money drives out bad. Well, economics, you know, when I when I found out that economics is just theory. No different than critical race theory in that it is just subjective theory. Well, right? no, it is. It is. Hmm. When you've got you've got economists like um, uh, well, the conclusions that economists come to uh-huh. could be just a bunch of hot. Okay, air. if it, if it was economics, why do you have why do you have Keynesian and why do you have other forms and why are there competing theories of 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 economics. Well, why are there competing theories of physics? Why do you yeah. have Why do you have Newton and Einstein? Well, you've got because Einstein's sharpening up Newton. You know. Well, those Newton's aren't really compe- Those aren't really competing. Those are. No, they're, uh, they're competing. I mean, it's definitely uh, Einstein's filling in the gaps that Newton left. He's filling in gaps, but Newton's yeah. still good for a lot of right. Them. Almost I mean, everything you and no, I competing would is like there's two two different theories that try to uh, right. try to well, economics make the, young, have the same economics as hamster science. But, there is, mm-hmm. but it's like what I was saying before. It's like there are things in economics that you're like, okay, that's, you know, like David Ricardo's theory of comparative advantage. Mm-hmm. You look at that, you read it, it makes perfect sense. It's very narrow. It's not like hugely applicable, but mm-hmm. you're like, okay, this is this is science. This is convincing. Mm-hmm. This is 
this is real. Mm -hmm. Then people draw conclusions from it, and you're like, well, that's where we get into, you know, well, it's the conclusions what, people draw well, where you're right. like, and I that's, don't know. But that's but economic that. theory. That's uh, what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's all theory, though. Yeah, I mean, the stuff that's correct, the stuff that's almost like 100% correct is theory, too. I mean, economics, social sciences are never going to be that solid, right? right? There's just too many. That, you know, that's my point, though. But it's not all but, bullshit, either. Like well, I'm not saying it's all bullshit, but it is subjective. Like, there are psychological, for instance, I mean, Marxism, Marxism is an economic theory. That's not wrong. As well as a lot of other stuff. But Marxism but, itself is not necessarily... Marxism, to me, is just the idea that classes are part of what we should be looking right. at. It's, it's much history. broader than economics. It's, pretty, it's, it's, it's a lot of stuff. I'm okay with that. I, I think if, we, if we're looking at history and we ignore class, we're missing something. Yeah. We're missing part of the ballgame. So to me, it's like Freud, to me, what we can take away from him is like, there are things going on in your brain that you don't know about. So what are you going to take away from this book? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think what I'm taking away is kind of what I was getting at before, which is like, I find this kind of philosophy appealing because I think I've been driven into a position of a little bit of withdrawing from my world because mm -hmm. of the rotten state of, of the political discourse. Mm -hmm. Again, because I live in such a large polity mm -hmm. that my part in it is so insignificant. I think a lot of people drive themselves crazy trying to participate in the politics of the United States of America, ruin relationships with friends and family and things like that. And I'm like, why did you do that? Yeah. What was going to happen? Because you stuck to those political beliefs. Were you going to influence the course of politics in a polity of 330 million people mm -hmm. so much that you needed to estrange yourself from like your father? Mm -hmm. What's more valuable? Your relationship to your family or, or, or your tiny little piddling ability to, influ mm -hmm. to, to influence American politics? For me... If I see a, a conflict between a relationship I have mm -hmm. and politics, I drop the politics in a second because mm -hmm. it does not matter. You know, it doesn't, I'm not going to change things by, by being a, you know, by cutting somebody out of my life. And also because mm -hmm. I'm pretty comfortable talking to people that are different sure. than me. Mm -hmm. But if they're not, I'll just be like, let's just not talk. You know, it's, it's a general philosophy I've had for a while. Yeah. And what it does is it, it puts you in the position of becoming like a stoic philosopher. It's yeah. very similar. And there are two strains of thought in Rome. And Marcus Aurelius does not represent the Epicurean strain of thought, mm -hmm. which is the other one, which is the pleasure principle, mm -hmm. just trying to enjoy life for itself and stuff like that. Because these are the places you go when you're godless, you know, not really participating in the political life. This is where you go. You go to these two things. It's totally the way people talk today. There's, we were talking about Pompeii before. Mm -hmm. This is one of the most fascinating things I learned about recently is that in Herculaneum, the other town that was destroyed when Vesuvius exploded, mm -hmm. There was a library that was discovered like three, 200 years ago when, when all this was excavated for the first time with hundreds and hundreds of scrolls burnt to a crisp. And they tried to unroll them a couple of times in the 1800s and they just gave up. Today, in 2021, the Getty Museum and like a couple of other people, um, are, a couple of other groups are like going through the process of using like x-ray... Uh, not crystallography. Oh, but interesting. It's an X-ray analysis so that they can, and they and they've proved the concept to look to, to look at the ink on the other side of the. I wa I watched a lecture by this guy, and he did a proof of concept where he actually got a Greek character off of one of these scrolls, and he was yeah. like, "This is a delta," and it means if I can do that, and yeah. I just keep applying it, I'm going to be able to read these scrolls, and we've got hundreds of them. It's enough material to be like. I mean, the, the the thing is, if you compiled everything we have from Greece and Rome, you could put it on like three or four CD-ROMs. That's how little we have. Yeah. And this entire library that you'd be recovering would, like, I don't know, triple the amount of information we have yeah. from ancient Rome. And unfortunately, 
what they think is it's all Epicurean philosophers. Ugh. Because that was so popular at the time. Yeah. Which is not nothing, you know. But what I really want is I want those lost books of Livy and like the histories yeah. and things like that. That would be really cool. Yeah. Even if one of those turned up. Because yeah. I love that stuff. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I, was, I keep looking forward to it. Man, that, that really is similar to today. And we've got, you know, I was thinking about this. Because like, he talks about carnal knowledge. In, Does he? Okay. Yeah, I missed in, that. In, in, I might have glossed over those paragraphs. Yeah. He didn't say carnal knowledge, but like. For unlawful carnal knowledge? <laughs> no. What is that, a Def Leppard album? Yeah, I think. No, that was uh, Motley Crue, maybe? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I think that's right. Um, yeah. No, carnal impulses, I think is what he's saying. And basically, like, uh, being master, right? I mean, needing... That's need, part of stoicism, need, sure. Needing to master... I'm more of an Epicurean. Know. I think enjoy them. Enjoy <laughs> the fact that you're an animal. That, that... Well, that, so that's what we have now, is we have, you know, let your, was it, freak flag fly in, in, in mm-hmm. 2021. Sure. Now, you know, with, with anything goes type of thing. Certainly during Nero and, and, and some of the others... Um, Caligula. Yeah, so his his twins were born on Caligula's birthday, and they, they, other than that, it was a good sign. Like, oh, that, we're, well, they, they like that. that was the only bad sign because oh. they, they the fortune tellers would figure out the planets and everything else for right, when, right, right, right. And so his his uh, his twins were born um, on Caligula's, Caligula's birthday, birthday, and that was the yeah. only bad. Like, yeah. by the way, he, he was born the same day as me, April twenty sixth. So right? Marcus Aurelius yeah, or Caligula? So I, uh, Marcus Aurelius. Oh, okay, well, that's yeah. good. Cool. Luckily, nice. so yours is coming up. Then we got to do. That's my. Anniversary, uh, April twenty sixth. Really, mm-hmm. so I can't expect you to my birthday party. No, but, well, we got a party some other day. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for nothing. Yeah, see so, how it is. Whatever. All right. So, what, did you know? Did you know Caligula named his horse to the Senate? <laughs> Does that not surprise me? And you know what the biggest problem with that was? What he always voted nay. <laughs> the worst. Thing I love that. Heard. It's like probably my favorite dumb joke. Yeah. I would tell um, it to my kids, but they wouldn't get it. They, yeah. I was trying my I'm teaching Alex Latin, and uh, somebody on Twitter, before New Year's Eve, they posted, if you, if you start reading one of Cicero's sentences at 9.36 p.m., you'll get to the verb by midnight. <laughs> I was like, I tried to tell Alex, and he was like, he was kind of like, oh, yeah, okay. that's kind of funny. But then, like, as we've learned more, he, I, I reminded him about the other day, and he was like, oh, yeah, that's pretty funny, actually. <laughs> actually, we're, so we're always looking at the sentence, we're like, where is the verb? And I'm like, wait till you get to the, yeah, you know, go to the big just, dogs. So um, your surprise was? You know, my surprise was just, was just that he lived this way, you okay. know? He he because I it, like, like I said it, it's he was planning on being a philosopher and, and it didn't that wasn't a bad life I mean being a philosopher yeah I mean no, play, Plato was to be an emperor all. well I guess Socrates ended up badly well, Plato Plato had a bad nice life I think Plato yeah. had a good Aristotle, Aristotle had a, nice had a good, life, yeah. good good life they were all well to do people and that's where they went Aristotle you know? himself survived um, his involvement with Alexander, but mm-hmm. Aristotle's nephew was murdered by Alexander because he actually went with him right. on his trip and he, he ended up murdering was he, him. He was Alexander's teacher, wasn't he? Aristotle, Aristotle was, yeah. yeah. So that's what he was planning on doing. That's what he was wanting to do. And, and then he kind of got... So what happened is he got that job. The job of philosopher, you mean? No, he, he was... He was oh, Antonis, you're talking about the, yeah, uh, the quaestor yeah, or the praetor. Whatever, whatever, whatever it was. It was. Um, did you want some, Did you want to try some, uh, more, yeah, yeah, some yeah. of this guy? Yeah, sure. Some of the old Hermes. You want me to give you Hermes? Let's pour it somewhere over, yeah. over your laptop. Over the computer. Yeah. So I mean, it's easy to be a to be a stoic if you, like I said, if you've got nothing. But if you are the guy in charge of everything and you've got everything, right? It's a little bit more difficult. Yeah. And so that's why you know that's why I'm sure there are a lot of stoic philosophers that didn't have to remind themselves to be humble and stuff, right? If you're living in a cave, you're already kind of humble. Yeah. But I mean. Everybody's throwing themselves at your feet, 
everywhere you go you have servants. I mean, these people lived on a scale of lavishness that we would never understand today. Yeah, you know, it's funny because like you were talking about Caligula or Nero or somebody like that who's famous for their, or Tiberius, you know, these guys were famous for their debauchery and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Our political leaders today don't live like that. No. That is not who gets to live like that. It's it's entertainers. Yeah, well, who that's gets to live like definitely that, true. Michael well, Jack. When I was reading Tiberius, when I was reading, sorry, when I was reading, I think it's Suetonius, whatever, one of them that talks about all the emperors, and he's describing the things that went on in the court of Tiberius. I'm like, that's what this sounds like. This sounds yeah. like when you hear about like what Motley Crue would do on the right. weekend, or like right. what Michael Jackson was doing, because it was like. Like pedophilia and stuff like that. Like, well, it's just it's like they're bored or something. Like they, they are, it's are, like yeah, they're, they're always they're, they're, ratcheting. They're, yeah, they're bored of whatever the norm is, or or just or just the kind of life they lead just twists them or something. I don't know. I, I don't know what, but um, yeah. I, I mean, to me, it was like with Michael Jackson. I, I think something probably happened to him when he was a kid, right? Because he was famous ever since he was a kid, and something probably happened yeah. to him. I don't know what it was, but our our political leaders are not like that today. No. Bill Clinton is the closest I've ever seen yeah. in my lifetime to actually enjoying some of the perks of being a famous person. <laughs> um, and it was nothing like what a rock star would do. So, In fact, actually, did you know what Bill Clinton's favorite book was in an interview? Hey. The Meditations of Marcus Aurelius. Really? Yeah. Oh. yeah. We're being very impressed with that one. I, Bill Clinton, to be perfectly honest, was my kind of president. Yeah. And I was like, this is like a guy who I can honestly just sit back and be like, that guy's smarter than me. He should be in charge of things. Yeah. I've never felt like that ever again in my life. Like, and, that's, yeah. and I was younger, so maybe I was just more willing to admit it at the time. Like now I'd be like, oh, this guy's my age. What the hell is he now? You know, <laughs> right. I just, that's the only time in my life where I was like, this guy, whatever his personal faults, yeah. and aside from his politics, this guy is a Rhodes Scholar. You know, he knows more than I do. I'm, I'm happy he's in charge and I don't have to make these decisions, you know. I've, I've never felt that way otherwise. Not sense, huh? Nah. I mean, who, who would it be? You know, W? I'm like, put W in charge. I'd be like, can you be quiet and let me make the decisions for people? <laughs> like, literally, I would rather get in front of the microphone than let him talk, you know. I like listening to him talk. He made me laugh. Might, yeah, well, so my book here is actually a compilation Mm-hmm. It's from the Five Foot Bookshelf by Harvard. Mm-hmm. So it's got Plato, which everybody right. loves Plato. Of course. It's also got Epictetus. So Epictetus is another Stoic philosopher mm-hmm. oh, who right, was right. a slave, yeah, yeah. actually. So he's coming from a different place. Mm-hmm. Would you, having read Marcus Aurelius, read another Stoic philosopher like I think Epictetus? So. I think so, because I'd like to see what, especially that. I mean, yeah. do you enjoy Stoic philosophy? Is it something yeah, that you... I do. I, you know, it, I, a lot of it does kind of resound with me. It, it, it just... Yeah, on some it, level, you know, right? It, it really does. I mean, there's... <laughs> towards the end of it, he says, prideful who are prideful about not having any pride or the worst. <laughs> I can't remember how he put it, but... It I don't remember that line, when, but when, that's when a good one. When they're, you know, humble, and they know they're humble, and so they're prideful of the fact that they're humble. Do you know what thing. I always thought of with that? With um, Jesus saying, if you do charity with the left hand, right. don't let the right hand know. You're, you know, and right. I, I always thought it was that same mentality. Yeah. It's like... Don't do charity. There was a lot of this. Because you're being prideful. I was like, I I wonder if he and Jesus in a conversation. They're all drinking from the same water is what's going on. This meeting of the minds in the Greek Middle East is where, like I said, like Buddha and Jesus and Plato are all coming together. of David with the Psalms. I was Uh like, I can't remember which one it was, but I was like, that sounds like a psalm. And catch that one. 
It, well, I mean, it could have been in any of them when he talks about. So Aurelius was saying, you know, nature, oh, nature, this, and you know, nature, that, mm. that, that, that does this, that gives me this and that. Did you come like, across the phrase the guiding principle? Did they use that in your translation? I don't think so. That's really. how he refers to, that's how my translation refers to, like, not the soul, but like the, the reasoning faculty. Mm. He kept saying the guiding principle. And I was like, what? The guiding light, like the, the days of our lives, consciousness. Maybe there's, there's a lot of metaphysics in this. Yeah. There's a lot of like who there's, like there's just a lot there, and and yeah. I I think I would like to redo it. Jeez. It's almost yeah. like it's the tip of the iceberg, right? Yeah, it's the tip of the iceberg of all these. Well, that's the thing is like is, and... is you can't read this as a philosopher talking to us, teaching no, us. Not really. He's talking to man, himself. The Greek is and actually so, not meditations. The Greek is, is things uh, for myself. It's actually things things written uh, to one, things to oneself. This I think is, is what it was. It's Tauta something. The commentaries is, how, is what this one's titled. The yeah, that's, a trans, but that's people translate. The literal Greek is things to oneself. See, this one's actually the commentaries of the Emperor Marcus Antoninus from 1787. That's Marcus Antoninus? Oh. Yeah. Did we read the same thing? Yeah. Because there's Antoninus. an Antoninus. I have Antoninus in here. It's the same thing. Okay. It is, it is right. the same thing. I hope thing. so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Mar- Marcus was, it's Marcus. Nobody else mm-hmm. was a Marcus. But True. he had all yeah, the... Yeah, because I've got... Who do, what's he, this other guy in here that I have? He I've has all these other the names. The philosophy of Antoninus. So he seems to be a different guy. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about the same stuff, so I think we're... But I think, it, I think generally speaking, Stoicism tries to get you to be patient, tolerant, resilient, mm-hmm. and it's impossible. You can't do it. You can't be this person that he's teaching you to strive for, but I think it's like you just keep trying. The quest to, to be this, you'd be a much better person. Even if you inevitably fail. Absolutely. You know? I think, okay, based on what you just said, Uh is that what he was doing? What do you mean? Like in his personal life? Is he actually doing it? Yeah. Is is he living up to this? Or is he reminding himself, you've got to do this? You know, you've got to do this. I read, I don't know if you, um, so ben, like, oh, Benjamin Franklin. I got, I got so freaking pissed off this jerk in the Senate today. I said, did he write all this high-minded stuff and then stub his toe and yeah, curse yeah, the yeah. gods? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and, and, and then he goes, takes a deep breath. Yeah. Okay, let me get, my, get out my quill. Yeah, you know? did you ever and, read uh, Benjamin Franklin did some writings that were a lot like this? Mm-hmm. It was like admonitions to himself and he just like writes, it's just pages and pages mm-hmm. of like, don't do this, don't do that. You yeah. know? And I was thinking a lot of his is like, don't go whoring, don't drink, don't eat too much. <laughs> yeah. Whereas like Marcus, and you're like, okay, so I think we know what Benjamin Franklin's personal problems were. Right, it's right, the right. whoring and the eating and yeah, the drinking. Yeah, yeah. Whereas like Marcus Aurelius is always like, don't look for fame too much. Don't worry about yeah, fame. Yeah, don't yeah. worry about what people, and don't I'm like, be prideful. So I'm thinking, Re- I'm thinking yeah. this was your personal trait. Remember, that, you remember know, that, uh, remember that, that you're, you know, you're, you're just dust in the wind. That all, all, all the people all the, that are famous, all, all the everybody kings, that love them, all the kings that came too. before you, yeah. they're all dead. You know. So I think and this is. I think, I think this is what he was into was I, fame. I think if we tried to see, I think this man. Yeah. So I mean, it, so could this be like? Really did like to be adored. Kind of confessions type of thing. I think so. You know, I think so. I think this is a uh, personal because he doesn't talk about carnal desires and and other things like that. That like some people would be not, more focused yeah, not on. Really. Like I said, like Benjamin Franklin, yeah. you can see what he considers to be, and he may have been writing from the meditation. For yeah. all I know. Probably read, I'm sure he read the sure yeah. I mean, I think he was letting us see what his weaknesses were. And I think Marcus Aurelius is also letting us see what his weaknesses well, are, which he, I think is pride. He, he didn't intend for anybody to read this. This is for him. Yeah, like, I don't know. Yeah. We don't know enough. Was, well, we don't true. know enough. But I, I was looking at the history of the book, and it's essentially like, there's nothing. I mean, in, in like 1553, we get the first printed version of it. So you're talking about... 
1,300 years yeah, after it's written. Perfect. And for hundreds of years, you just like, every once in a while, someone would mention this book. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how in the hell did it survive? And every book we have from Greece and Rome is like that. It has this tortured history. Of how it, yeah, I know. It's, just, yeah. it's amazing, like, how we got anything. Like, how we got yeah. anything. They just found the gospel of, I mean, these, these books show, to the gospel of St. Thomas just showed up in, like, the early 1900s in, like, in like I think in a, an Ethiopian monastery. And it's just like, this is a book that's 2,000 years old. Mm. It only survived in, like, a couple of places, and it only showed up again in the 20th century. Right. So these little pieces of paper, that's why that Herculaneum thing, I can't even imagine they, what's they found, come out They of found like some uh, fragments of more scrolls, like the Dead Sea Scrolls. They found some more fragments. And that's in the 30s, I think. Came, 20s or 30s. No, just right? recently. In the, oh, okay. In the cave of okay. whatever it's called. Qumran. Yeah, that's one of the caves. But I mean, they just recently found them. And, or not recently, probably within the last few years, but they've recently like unveiled. Yeah, them. it's really cool. Yeah, it's really cool when something actually shows so, up so, like that. You know, or like, for fantastic. instance... Nobody spoke, nobody could understand the Mayan language until the 1960s. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they just found in the last 10 years, somebody unearthed a series of steps that goes on for like hundreds of feet. And each step is Mayan glyphs telling the story of one king. And it's just like, it's like discovering the Thucydides, Peloponnesian yeah, yeah. War right, right, right. in Mayan. You're like, now we have all this information Holy we didn't crap, have before. Yeah. Holy crap, guy, like, yeah. that is the coolest thing. Like, or, just, you, or find something like the Rosetta Stone. Right, you know, with all four right. languages, and yeah. you can use one to decipher the other one. Yeah. You're like, oh, that just yeah. unlocks. So the imagine that just—you yeah. couldn't read that before. It's, it's I mean, all the information yeah. that we have now because of it. So kind of mind blowing. Are we toasting this classic? I mean, I read it a second time. It's been 20 years. I still enjoyed it. I'm definitely toasting this classic. I don't know if I'm toasting this translation of this classic. <laughs> I'm a little fed up with the translation. But thing on the way over. Has he ever won a Pulitzer? Marcus Aurelius. Yeah, has he ever? I, I don't mean, know. I don't know. Well, he was in, he's included in the Modern Library. Okay. And that was a bestseller, actually. Okay. When they, the 2002 translation, Modern Library edition, yeah. was a bestseller. So that's pretty good. Everybody, you can get this free on the internet. You can. Digital copies can. from from multiple sources. So Yeah, he's been dead, I think, for longer than Walt Disney. You think Marcus so? Aurelius. Yeah, so I think everything's in... Uh, now, the trans... The, actually... I'm so joking. No, no more I'm copyright. Joking. But the translation Translations, is an original yeah. work, and that actually yeah. is copyrighted. So you have to. So but, your seventeen hundred thing is, is <laughs> right. free. But that's Google Books. It worked just fine. Yeah. So. so. Um, yeah. Well, I think we should toast this classic. I think this is a fantastic read. Um, I wish I'm, I had looked up how the Romans toasted. I don't know. There must have been a good toast that they had. Yeah. That would have been a really smart thing to look up before the before yeah. the pod, but. I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't yeah. know that one. I, I do know that they had a god. Was it Dionysius? Dionysus, yeah. Dionysus. Or ba- uh, Bacchus is the Roman version. Dionysus is the well, Greek. Well, ba- Bacchus was... Well, so they, there was a, a god of wine. That was Bacchus. But then there was a god of drunkenness who hung around with them, who palled out with them, and would drink all the time. Okay. So Bacchus wasn't a drunk, but Dionysus or Dionysus was. Okay. He was a drunk. So he wasn't a god of wine. He was just a drunk. Okay. And he would get very prophetic and wise the mm. more he drank. Kind of like us. Demeter might be the god of goddess of beer, but that's barbarian. Yeah. That's yeah, Greek, I think. That. Actually, probably yeah. anyway. So let's cheers. Yeah, uh, we uh, who are about to die salute you. <laughs> right. That's the best Roman right. toast I can come up with. I'm just, just gonna go I'm just gonna go ahead and say who we're doing next. Oh we're gonna okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's a there, film. It's a film it's and a it's film. up to it's up to Mr. Lanier. Mr. Professor, sorry, Professor Lanier. 
I didn't go to evil doctor school to be called I didn't go, Mr. I didn't go <laughs> 10 years of evil doctor school to be called Mr. Veneer. Um, but you already spoiled it. Blazing Saddles. That's my that's my choice. I thought you said it. I, I, you told me it was Endless Summer. No, no. Did oh. you already watch Endless Summer? I, I looked it up and everything. I had it all bookmarked. No, I, I, I decided. I okay, decided Blazing Saddles. Days. Yeah, Blazing Saddles. Now, is that a classic? I don't know. Let's, let's watch it and see. Okay. I mean, did it, did, did it won any awards? Or? I, I, I don't know if it has. I don't okay. know, but but I mean, is that the is it? What's the standard? I guess we'll find out. Oh, I don't know. It's pretty loose. I think it's yeah. pretty loose standard. I've already chosen my free choice, but I, I guess we shouldn't give it away. No, okay. no at least until next. I week. even bought something to drink. While really? We, while we already? Did, while, while I was down there. <laughs> must um, be must be obscure. Um, it was geographically specific. Really? Yeah. yeah, and it's it's the kind of thing I drink anyway, so it was. Uh, yeah, scotch. Got so. that for next time. So. <laughs> Some someplace specific to Scott. I think you can probably Scott. already probably guess what I'm talking about for free choice. So it doesn't have to be a book or a movie. It can be any other media. Okay. And it's something Scottish. Uh, okay. All right. All <laughs> right. That's pretty easy to figure out. Maybe, maybe we'll close off on that. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Uh, this was fun. Yep. Yeah, it was a lot more fun than I thought. So. Toasting the Classics, Episode Four. Peace out. Bye. That's it for episode four of Toasting the Classics. For those playing along at home, get some good sipping bourbon for next week's episode, where we'll be talking about the 1974 Mel Brooks classic comedy Blazing Saddles. If you'd like to get in touch, send us an email at toastingtheclassics at gmail.com. Send us show ideas, your comments and complaints, whatever. Check out my blog at theattractivenuisance.com and follow us on Twitter at at Our music was written by Michelle MacArthur. See you next time on Toasting the Classics.